G'day and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson and uh, I'm going to get into this really quickly. Today's episode uh, is with Glenn Robbins. Now, Glenn and I recorded this uh, almost a year ago. It was back when I was doing the original run of the podcast. Uh, Glenn was one of the first people I ever wanted to get on because every time I've had a conversation with Glenn Robbins, who uh, is one of the first people I guess who I've had on the podcast who've gotten from being a hero of mine, a genuine hero of mine. Well, not even a hero, before I knew what a hero was. Just a guy that I would watch on the telly and laugh at before I imagined comedy was a thing that I would do with my life or be involved with as an industry. You know, the more you do this as a job, the more people you, just by the nature of it being in the same industry, you you tend to meet. But this guy, you know, I was young enough that I recognised what comedy was and I loved his comedy and I loved him, but... Uh, I guess I wasn't old enough to start thinking, oh, well, this is comedy and this is what I would like to do. So there's still a little bit of a fan in me every time I talk to Glenn Robbins. Uh, He's been very supportive of me as a stand-up comedian. He used to come and see my shows. I don't know if he comes anymore. Well, maybe that's a bad sign. But uh, particularly when I was a young comedian, he used to come and see me and he was very supportive and it was always a great thrill of mine uh, to be talking to Glenn. Uh, So like I said, we recorded this episode uh, nearly a year ago and then we had all the problems with... uh, uh, the, the 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 podcasts and iTunes and having to relaunch it and so all that's happened I've, and uh, this is the I think I've only got two of these old episodes up my sleeve now this one with Glenn Robbins and one with uh, my friend Max Barry the author and and then they're all uh, new or newish episodes so uh, that, that that's good that's exciting and I uh, thank you all for your great support uh, if you like the podcast please share it with other people uh, rate it on iTunes or wherever you listen to it uh, subscribe to the podcast all those things help. Uh, and it helps me, you know, kind of, you know, if there's a big enough audience there who are listening to the show, obviously it gives me incentive to find the time in, in between the busy schedule to get it done. Uh, speaking of the busy schedule, and then I'll go back to Glenn, uh, uh, I've got my tour. Uh, it's, it's really soon, uh, two weeks until I start in Adelaide. It's really exciting. I mean, terrifying. Uh, I, I just finished the last tour on January 19. That's the latest I've ever finished a tour and then had to start a new show, six weeks really, to clear my head and start thinking of something new and for three or four weeks, it's been quite terrifying, but we're in the last two weeks and now I'm just excited. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do, but come, it's going to be fun. Uh, you know, I'm in a good headspace about my work and, and what I want to do with it this year. In the first six months, I get to just do stand-up, so I'll be working on it uh, every day and every night. And, and you know, sometimes the, the first nights when I'm working out what it is, they're the most exciting ones because I'm excited too. Uh, so, you know, please come along. The first four nights in Adelaide are, are cheap because it obviously is preview prices. And then, uh, of course, I'm after that I'm in Brisbane and uh, Melbourne as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival doing my show Free Will. Uh, enough of the plugs this time because I banged on uh, a lot at the start of the MIF episode, so I'm not going to do it too much in this. But I just wanted to mention that Glenn and I recorded this uh, about a year ago. So just keep that in mind when you're listening to it. Uh, then... <laughs> Glenn contacted me. Glenn was probably, okay, here's what I will say. Glenn, of all the guests, was A, was somebody that I really wanted to talk to because I think he has a lot of interesting insights when it comes to this sort of area. And every time we talked, we'd ended up talking about the sort of things I wanted to be this podcast to be about. But he was also probably the guest I've had so far, more human myth, who, who think that they have nothing to share uh, or are nervous about the fact that they have nothing to share or... Anyway, so Glenn was nervous about doing the podcast. I thought he did an amazing job. I think you're going to absolutely love him. And uh, I want to get him back on again, uh, hopefully, and uh, even go deeper next time. But I think this is a really fantastic podcast. But, of course, because the podcast then went on hiatus, then Glenn thought I hadn't put it up because I didn't like the podcast. And, of course, that just fed into his paranoia. So the fact that it's nearly been a year... uh, 
I apologize. I guess that's what I'm trying to say to Glenn. If you're listening, uh, I apologize for putting you through that. I love this podcast. I always wanted to save it to be a featured podcast when the podcast came back uh, officially. Uh, genuinely one of uh, the, the absolute pleasures of my life just to get to sit down and talk to this guy for a couple of hours. Uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do too. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Will underscore Anderson. Uh, if you want to suggest guests for the show or just, you know, say hello. Uh, we don't have a web page or anything yet, but, you know, at some stage we will. Oh, by the way, I like you, uh, the name of the song. I like you. I, I do like you, but the name of the theme tune to Velocity, the Velocity theme tune, that's what I like to think it's called in brackets. Uh, I like you, but by St. Hughes, that's now available on iTunes uh, featuring Holly B. Uh, so if you Google I like you, St. Hughes, uh, if you want to support the podcast, why not support someone who believed in the podcast before it was a podcast and gave me a bit of music for free, and now they've turned that into an excellent song that I've played a few times on the podcast, and you can buy that song and support them, and uh, and that'd be cool. All right, that'd be uh, fantastic. Okay, all right, I'm not banging on. Here he is, uh, Glenn Rock. I am Will Anderson, and I still don't really know how to start this podcast. I have been starting by getting the uh, guests to introduce themselves, so I'm going to go with that for again and see if that uh, reveals anything. Uh, who are you, guest? Oh, so I, do I introduce me? Yeah, or who or are you? you? No, I, I'm, they know who I am. Oh, it's okay, called, it's you called, said that. It's called yes. Willosophy, and I'm Will Anderson. And to be honest, they probably knew that when they downloaded it. If you've just stumbled onto a podcast and you've accidentally downloaded it and you don't know what it is, well, good on you, but... Uh, this is I'm, I'm I'm Will Anderson and this is Willosophy. But uh, I have a guest and I like the guests to introduce sure, themselves because sure. I think what you say about yourself sure. might be interesting to the audience. Sure. Okay. I'm Glenn Robbins. I came to the hotel that you're staying in currently. I went to reception and they thought I was your driver. Not that yes. I expect that. <laughs> That's true. I will be be recognised. I mean, to be but honest, I enjoyed the thought of being your driver. Uh, to be honest, I, I when he rang me up and said that it was my driver here to be picked up, and I was like, I knew that it was you, obviously, because I knew you were coming, and I was like. You're probably the most famous person I've had on this podcast. Like, I was like, this is a big guest. No. And the dude thinks it's, I'm, I'm, you're my driver. It had nothing to do with fame. It was purely, Were you wearing a hat? No. <laughs> Did you have a mobile phone? It's not that I, I would assume, but I, I just think that he assumes. I, I don't assume anyone knows who I am. I, I never assume that. Right. But I, he did assume that I was a driver. And I felt like saying, what makes you think that I'm a driver? What is it about me wearing yep. semi-casual clothes? Where's my? I mean, you're not even dressed up for a driver. No, no. I would expect a higher class of driver, to yeah. be honest. So, I'm uh, doing well. Yeah, so, I'm a driver in a hat and a coat. <laughs> so uh, where are we going? You're going to drive me somewhere psychologically. Uh, yeah. look, I'm a little concerned. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be honest with you're you. You're certainly the most concerned guest I've had so yeah, far. Yeah. Well, only because look, you know, I I think things and I feel things, but yeah. I don't. I you're good at articulating them. You know what? I'm 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 good at. I'm probably good at doing other people's words. I'm not. I'm not as good at doing my own words. That's interesting. I, and, already. And, and I and and I. I will be honest. I do indulge in the I don't know, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say. What's my opinion? Not really sure. I, do, I indulge in that a bit, and so I should really get over that. Yeah. And I have had people say things back to me, and they'll say they'll, they'll talk about the, the psychology of something, and I'll go, you know what? That's really interesting. The, the way you've thought that, 
and I'll say you told me that a couple of years ago, and I and I won't have any memory of actually right. saying it. So, so really, I should have interviewed a bunch of other people about your exactly, philosophy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, do you like is whether or not you like biography or autobiography? I mean, maybe I would be better biographically studied as opposed to autobiographically. I, I like this already because I think that is something very interesting about you and the the career path that you have chosen in many ways because. Uh, you are a comedian and you are a stand-up comedian. You were, you do stand-up comedy, but you mostly do character, do character stuff. Yes, you yes. do other people's stuff. Yes, I Or do. your own stuff, yes. but like in a third-person yes, character. Yes, yes. Do you think that is part of like your psychology and yes. part of... Yes, I do. I think, I, I think naturally there's a, there's a level of insecurity uh, that goes with me believing that I can be funny and there's a level of security that I can hide behind a character and perhaps doing other people's words. I mean, there's no, yes, I've written sketch comedy. I haven't written anything longer form, but there's, some, there is, there's something about the confidence and the boldness of a character that, that takes me places that I don't even understand because right. that opens up a different side of my head. When I come into my, myself directly I, and I sit next to people like you or Dave O'Neill or Dave Hughes, I often say... I wish I'd said that. Having said that, I did a show called The Panel for seven years yep. and they approached me to do that show and I went, why would you want me to do this show? I don't understand why you would want me, uh, want me to do it. And they said, we, we, like, we, we just think you'd be good at it. Anyway, I did it and it took me, I think, six weeks to really get my head around it uh, and it wasn't a conscious thing. It wasn't me going, ah, I've worked it out. It happened unconsciously, organically, whatever you want to – gut, whatever you want to call it. And then I would, I would go into that show with a page of stuff written in front of me, point, point form, maybe a little joke here, a little story there. But invariably the best shows were the shows that, that just happened off the cuff. So that was a couple of things. One was trusting my instincts. And um, two, we'd often go to a break and Rob would say to me, Rob Sitch would say to me, where did that come from? And I, I would say I don't know. I mean, but it would even make me laugh. So I think there's a there's a where, so okay. So I've got two things about this that I'm really interested in. The first one is where do you think it came from? Like, how do you get into a state that you allow those moments to come to you? Because I do think there is a lot to be said about the idea of boredom, a lot about the idea of when you're writing something, of going for a walk or going for a swim or doing something and let the ideas just fall into your head in the yeah. right way. Yeah. Sometimes I spoke to Steve the cricketer once yeah. and I asked him about you know facing the West Indies the most terrifying bowling attack in the world yeah. like how do you make decisions of what shot to play when someone's bowling it at you nearly 200 kilometers an hour yeah. and he said you can't no. he said you've got no time to make a decision what you've got to do is all the training and all the hard work and then when you're out there in the middle get out of your own way yes. and let your instincts take over now is that what's happening that's it well I'm, I'm when I said you asked me to do the show and you uh, I sent you a little email uh, which which said something like do I need to think about about some areas uh, for preparation because there I go, I want to bring a plate to the table right. or do we just talk and reveal my, you know, neurosis and uh, see what happens and I break down and, and you know, it makes the papers. You, you um, did say, you did say, will you, will you make me cry like Andrew did? And I was like, <laughs> well, I haven't had anyone cry yet, so well, let's see. But I think you're exactly right. I think that... If I had a, this is not a core philosophy, but and I'm, I don't think I'm, you know, changing the world by saying this. I think, I think the good stuff undoubtedly lives in the unconscious, and it, and it, and I often use the the analogy or the metaphor. I'm not sure what which is which is which, uh, which is a 
a, a baby deer coming to drink from the stream and if you try to coax it out because you want to see it, you know, drinking, lapping up the water, um, it won't come out. But if you go very quiet right. and just wait in its own time. So in other words, if I say to myself, I just want to be – I just want to be funny, but just let it be. Don't try too hard. There's a gate that opens up that is so strongly guarded by the ego for fear of embarrassment, failure, death, uh, whatever way that is, death by an audience or actual, actual death, um, that too many decisions and too many creative decisions and life decisions are made by this thing called the ego who who is too all-empowering. So ego, ego to me is a dirty word. As much as I think I've got a big ego and it's served me well, I do believe – if I can go quiet, allow flow to happen on a walk, on a good conversation, or hearing back something I've told someone, that that's where the good stuff lives. Now, I know that's overly simple, but I know if I just, if I don't know the answer, if I just let it be and I sleep on it, invariably I'll get the right answer. You know, this, and I, I, I'm lucky enough to play golf with a psychologist, psychiatrist, sorry, and, um, I said to him one day, you know, sometimes I think I get a bit neurotic and I think a lot of stuff, but then I just go, yeah, but what do you really think? And usually, yeah, but what do I really think is, is the rational. Now, I can criticise that of myself, but without the irrational, you don't get the good stuff either. You don't get the weird stuff. You don't get the... You don't, you don't see things, you know. If it's purely rational, then you just go through the day being pretty boring right so, so, so if, you can, if you can have the wouldn't it be funny ifs and and i maybe i am dying and if you can and i'm sure that's a prism you view the world through and if you can utilize that without it the then you can get to the the artistic the unconscious the side of yourself as opposed to but if you live in it you get a distorted view of the world right it's yeah, it, look it's very interesting that point you make about the balance between the ego you know being important for what you do because yeah. clearly like as a performer yeah. or anyone who's trying to do anything publicly or anyone to be honest like the very idea of aspiration to doing something like what you do has ego bound up in the like from the minute I as a 15 year old kid sat on the farm and saw a guy on Letterman doing stand up comedy and went I yep. want to do that yep. like that's an incredibly egotistic thing for a 15 year old kid to yes. think yep. like even though for me because I didn't know what that was yep. or how to do it or what yep. it would involve yep. in any way I just in my head was like I reckon I could do that yep. now that by itself is an act of ego and without that, you'd never get on stage. Without that, you'd never get up in front of people and you'd never do the work. You wouldn't be able to do it. But the ego can also be too much and get in the way of you doing good work. That's right. So in the, at the point of creation, or do you depend on that ego or do you – do you? because I actually hope that I open. I know I can do things from my ego and I, and I – as much as I – We've had discussions about this before over lunch, which is I, th- I believe that my stand-up is, is derived more from my ego than my instinct. I believe right. that there are things that I probably should be talking about on stage that I'm not brave enough to talk about. I tend to um, um, uh, not let go on stage enough for fear of – and you get addicted and caught. So you just get into a bit of a tight orbit. Now, the, the way to get out of that is to take some risks or just keep on doing it and eventually – your voice will come through. You see a lot of people when they start out, you know, they'll start out 
and they're basically what I call cover comedians. They've, they've stolen a, a sensibility or a music or a rhythm, and you go, yeah, but you haven't got to the good stuff yet. And it's okay to it's be like, like that. You know what? It's like, I mean, yeah. I use this analogy quite a yeah. lot. Like Oasis was the be- were the best Beatles cover band you've yeah. ever seen in your life. Yeah. And they yeah. were great at it. Yeah. It doesn't make Oasis a bad band. No. But some bands like listened to the Beatles and then became something else completely different. Yes. Yes, and I think that in an artistic sense, it's okay for a while. And eventually, musicians find their, their, their music and we find our voice. And if you can stay in that place like you have, that, that, that's... Now, I don't... I haven't had... I Look, I will admit on the panel, I did find that. I haven't found it as much on stage as I'd like to, but I find it more when I'm with people. I probably prefer being on stage with people. There's a, there's a, there's a certain... Because... Being on stage catches me off guard. Right. Whereas being on stage by myself, I'm completely in control. And thereby, Interesting. Yeah, so thereby, yep. well, if you're in control, if you're flying the, the aeroplane, it's not going to crash. So therefore, we're going to do A, B and C, which is the ego saying, don't you dare embarrass me in front right. of these people. Is there, is there also an element in that of the fact that you're a guy who's less like the guy who wants to be flying the plane? You're more the guy who wants to be, you know, doing the, the cheeky, you know, announcement Absolutely. on the plane when someone else is flying yes. at all. Yes. Making sure everyone's yep. having a good time or yep. Yep. throwing yep. a spanner in the works. Yeah, I'm the, I, I sat on the end of the, on the, on the, on the left-hand side of the panel for that very reason. It wasn't a conscious thing. That was the only seat that was left. But I ended up going, that, that is, this is a good spot for me yeah. because it allows me to, just to chime in. There's no doubt if we, if, if we go on a road trip, I don't want to drive the car. I want to be in the back seat with my ass out the window right. because I, want to, I, want, I enjoy mischief. I want to play. And when you have to be responsible and keep your eyes on the road, I, now the, the good people like Letterman are able to keep their eyes on the road but still keep the child alive sure. and still play. And that's that's something to aim for. And I dare say that's somewhere you've got to. I don't know it? if that's something that I've got to, but that's something yeah. that I battle with. Yes. Because like uh, you know, because of the role that I've played, and, and, the, and this comes back to the second point I wanted to make about the panel anyway, which is yeah. about the idea of role-playing yes. and how important like being part of an ensemble and knowing what role is yours to play and how important that can be. Really important. Right. Yes. So like to use the panel as an example, your yeah. role on that show was not to run with the ball. You, you were, you know, to use a rugby league analogy, you're the winger. You know, yes, yeah. you're the guy that, that they yep. want to like. A lot of people will do a lot of the heavy lifting, yep. and they'll and then they'll throw it to you, and yep. you're meant to score, yep. or you're meant to do something dazzling in the middle that nobody was expecting, yes. or whatever. Yes, right? That's exactly right. But yep. it's inter- But to know that, like, because at the start, I think everybody's temptation, and again, this probably goes back to that idea of ego: is I need to be the most important person. Yes, I need to be the star. Yep. It seems to me that you often like it's it's interesting to me if i look at your work across the board you are definitely one of the most known and beloved like comic actors and comedians this country's ever produced but you haven't like apart from all those adventures exactly right there's not much that you've really been no. like the leading or yes, the yes. like it's mostly been ensemble stuff and probably because of the things that we've just talked about and it's and it's not that i Fear. Not, look, yeah, I probably look. There's no doubt. Fear is a major element in what I do. The, yep. it, it bubbles away, but it, it, there is a security in the group, the tribe mentality that that seems to work for me. I don't. I know when I'm in the middle. Of, I know when I'm on stage. I, if I'm hosting a show, I can't wait to bring on the next act. Right. I, I really want to bring them on. I, uh-huh. I don't really ever want to. Hang around. So, I mean, probably there's probably better people than me who can tell you why that is. I dare say 
all the things we talked about, levels of insecurity. Um, uh, so, you know, in short, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, because it's interesting to me, when we first started doing The Glass House, which is now, I guess, oh my God, like uh, 13, 14 years ago, but... Um, I, I, they offered me the hosting role of that show. That yep. was the first thing that I hosted on television. And before that, I'd really just done like, you know, Good News Week and stuff like that. And yep. in that situation of being some young kid on this show who was just able to come in and like just muck around. Yes. No responsibility. Yes. You're literally the youngest person, yep. the newest person. Your job is to play, play yep. right? Yep. Great fun. Yep. And then they come to me and they say, hey, we want, we're going to do this new show, but we want you to host. Yes. I didn't want to host. No. I wanted to be the guy Play. on the end yeah. playing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think one of the things, the mistakes that I made, you know, while I was doing that show, or one of the things that I learned when I was doing that show was that I would have been better if I hadn't played so hard sometimes. Like, you know, the, the, as a host, like my job was really to like host and yes, be funny. Like, you know, be funny when you need to be funny, yes. but you've got other jobs to do. You've got to make sure everybody else is funny well, as well. Well, it begs a question then, therefore, given that you do so much, you spend so much time performing alone, how do you change your thought process when you are, and this is, I guess, what you're leading towards, how do you change your thought process when you are with a group of people? How do you, not quieten that part of you, but I notice sometimes when I get with comedian, comedians in a group mentality, not that they compete with you, but you feel like saying it's okay. Yeah, we're, we're there are elements, but there's, there's no doubt that sometimes people compete. Yeah, and oh, no yeah. Doubt we all like to be no the funniest person, and there's no right. doubt that. But when you get when you get break through that, and you let go, there's this room that you go into. Right, it's a beautiful room where you go. You know what? It's okay, and we're watching each other's back. Yeah, and if whatever happens, you're going to be fine. And I know again on the panel. I knew that they had my back. So if I took a risk and I went, if I ran down the end of the pier and I went for a big bomb and it didn't make a big splash, they, they, they would pull me back out right. and it would be okay. And I believe the same thing with an audience. I believe that an audience, and this is the great leveler for me, is that they, they, they can, the power they have is laughter and applause. On an individual level, they, they, they probably have opinions. But as a group, they are all-knowing, all-knowing. Right. And so, in other words, as a, they are not, not a beast, but they, but they see you exactly for who you are. So if you fool them, if you try to be something that you're not, they know straight away. They don't know. They're not sitting there going, he's bullshitting me. They just know. And if you know an audience, you will hear that straight away. So my theory has always been if I'm honest with an audience and I'm honest with my performance, and if I take a risk, I know that if I fall, they will help me back up. If I try to bullshit them and I take a risk, they will, they will let me lie there for a little while and right. they w won't give me a helping hand up. Now, I'm not, that's, not, that's, that's sounding quite black and white. No, no, no. But, there but, it, but it is basically true that they completely understand where your head's at and it's so satisfying to know that if you have come from the right place and you fail you go it's okay and you know i would sit on the panel and i would think to myself this is the right time to say something and i would say it and i'd say and there'd be times where my voice in my head would go you've got a great joke in the barrel but you shouldn't do it but then the and then my ego would go, yeah, but come on, just do it. It'll be really funny. The moment I forced it, it right. would miss and it would almost slap me in the face. That, I got very good at that voice, knowing I would r read the room and, go, and I would go, okay, the show's clicking along. I wouldn't, 
I would just say to myself, what does it need right now? It, 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 it's not like I was, I was the um, all-powerful, I will fix this, it'll be okay. But my gut tells me this needs a laugh right now. Yeah, but that was your job as yeah, well. Yeah, that was yeah. literally your job. Yeah. Like, you know, your job is on a show where it needs a little bit of a, like a bomb thrown or a moment or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. was literally what your job is. And to recognise that, but also that uh, when, when you talked about the idea of uh, like being able to keep a good joke in your head, this is like when I first started doing Gruen, like, you know, because I'm the only yeah. you know, comic voice yeah. on that panel, like my job is to make it like a light entertainment yeah. show. Yeah. And so at the start, I would write jokes about everything. And what I'd find is, like, when I was trying to get that joke in, I would miss the rhythm and beats of the conversation. And the minute that I went, like, now that I look at all the stuff, and I'm across it all week now, so from start to finish, so it's kind of like one of those things where I just, I get to show day, and I go, you know this back to front, and you know how to be funny, right? Listen to what everybody's saying, and when it needs it, get in, and when it doesn't, get out of the way. So in other exactly. You're getting out of your own way, and you are in some ways out of control. Right. In other words, you know how to drive a car. You just don't need to think about driving a car. Yeah. So you can drive the car, you can watch the road, and you can still do those things. So you're, you're getting into a really good place. And you would probably see it in yourself. You probably, if you watch it back, you'll go, oh, I just pushed that one a bit too hard. Oh, or, yeah. or you go, I really like the way I... And Steve War probably goes... And that's the thing about right. cricket. They don't all come out of the middle. No, they don't all come out of the middle, but they but but they they don't have time to think. Yeah. And with the show that you're doing, you don't probably have, you you probably go in go in with the guns loaded, but you probably don't have too much time to think. So therefore, it becomes instinct. All right. So um, you did think the most about the, you know the idea of whether you had a philosophy or not than anybody that I've talked about. <laughs> I, how do you know that? Well, because well, you certainly told me you were thinking about it a lot more than everybody else. Everybody else, when I tell them, I say, look, you know, all I'm going to ask is, do you have a philosophy? And, and you don't have to have one, but then I might ask you about that. Most people are like, yep. And I've talked to you about nine times since <laughs> or nine messages or nine. I'm not sure. I've thought of, maybe I've thought of something else. Yeah. What went through your mind when I asked you that question? Uh, purely what I, I think what I said before yeah. is that you, you just want, to, if someone's, putting on you know you're putting on lunch for two today you and i've I've said i'll bring something you just want to go you want to bring something that that is sumptuous and 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 so where does that attitude that that comes from from insecurity but where does that come from originally like when okay so take me back how did where did you grow up i grew up in the northern suburbs of melbourne strathmore which is one stop short of oak park and then Glenroy and then Broadmeadows. You, what, you, don't know, you don't know that part of the world, do you? Not really, but the, is it working class sort of part of the uh, world? Well, or I is think it... the further you went up the track, right. yes, absolutely. You know, good, honest soul. I mean, where I was, it was, was Strathmore was, was classic middle class, and then the further uh-huh. you went up was honest middle class, uh, working class people, good good people. And I went to a, went, went, I went to a public school and, um, you know, that was that. But public, was, public primary and secondary yeah, or just – Correct, yes. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And through to year 12, finished year 12? Finished year 12, yes. And, and did then, you – what happened after that? Then I went – then I uh, sort of hung around for a while and I knew that I wanted to go into the performing arts but I didn't right. know what the – So was there was. any performing arts at like your school or anything? Yes, was I remember that... standing on the side of the stage watching the school production going, I wish I had the guts to have done that and, you know, and going – so hang on, there's a there's a high school production. What was the production? It was a, a Gilbert and Sullivan musical. There's a high school production somewhere that could have had Glenn Roberts. <laughs> well, you know, I mean that'd sell some tickets these days. It's not too late for me to go back to for 
a triumphant homecoming? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Would I you think. do a week at your old high school <laughs> in like an older role in the high school production? You're pushing it now, but, you know, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I um, hung around and then I w- worked at an insurance company. Oh, um, insurance. Yes. How did you get into insurance? I, a friend was just, we, we just didn't have any work and he, was, he wrote a letter. To the, I wrote the letter and it sat on my desk for about three months and then I sent it into MLC. And whenever I come in the city, I always make a point of walking past MLC going, there you could have been for, the, for your life. And do you I, think about that? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I, I think about, I, I sat there at, at my desk going, if I stay here for 15 years, I'll go from this desk here to that one over in the corner. And the only difference is that he's got a glass partition and I don't. And that's kind of it. I've been musing, I've been like on this very idea for quite a while, and I'd like to ask you about it, which is how important do you think to pursuing, like, particularly a lifestyle like with, you know, a a career in the arts and that sort of thing, Mm. is having at least one really terrible job before you do it? Absolutely no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Because I think, like, a lot of the time these days, kids are getting into, like, comedy and stuff, like, at a high school or whatever, and there's ways to do it. And by the way, I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it, like Chris Rock and Ross Noble, and there's plenty of, you know, Eddie Murphy high school. Yeah. You know, success stories. Yep. But there is another part of me that thinks pursuing a career in this industry, like in particular, will have a lot of ups and downs. It is a hard road to kind of go on. Having an actual shit job first yep. is a powerful motivator. I totally agree. I mean, it gives you perspective and, and you just you just see – it just it opens you up as a person, maybe in different directions, but you need – and travel too. Travel is so important to just see a different part of the world. But, um, yeah, I sat there and then I – thought to myself well and i was i was i was scared of taking that risk my mother was completely behind me my father wasn't uh-huh. so, so what did they do my father was an accountant uh-huh. and um okay and, so an accountant to the heady world of insurance yeah That's so like, yeah, yeah that so makes sense it makes sense and my yep. mother was completely supportive and yep. loved the idea of me and was you know always it took me to see barry humphreys when i was a 10 year old is that um, right yeah uh, yeah and i saw i i saw humphreys before i saw humphreys back in the geez it would have been the late 60s i think when he was just doing it i don't know whether the theater's still there the playbox theater is that, right it's in oh, i remember the playbox it's in behind the is it near the um what's that one down in the corner the um oh, it doesn't matter anyway i saw him there and um and then I just I thought to myself, well, I could audition for NIDA, which I've heard is you know incredibly you know hard to get into, or I can I can uh, audition for Rusden or Melbourne State College, do a teaching course, study drama, and then I've got got the teaching to fall back on, and I can learn who I am, and I as a as a performer, and and I did that. I, I like I got in on interview more than than because my year twelve marks weren't great, uh, and. Uh, then studied drama for four years, and I and I loved it. I I just utilised every performance I possibly could. We had a, a a stage there called the Open Stage, so we we're doing sort of classic stuff and original stuff, and um and met some great people and took some risks and and and, and anyway did four years and then left there and started teaching part time. I started teaching teaching emergency teaching. So in other words, it was a form of performance. Yep. Uh, with kids and the wow, I mean, there's there's no tougher room than the room yeah. of an emergency teacher. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. the kids like that's you know you you're the you're the comic they didn't expect was going to be on yeah. when you're the emergency teacher and, and was, they they think they can be rowdy they yeah. think they can get away with shit right and I was doing ads as well at the time so I was I was doing 
and Hamish and Andy brought this up on a, on a <laughs> show I did with them a couple of years ago, uh, a Just Jeans ad where I played some characters in a change room. And so, and I was teaching at the same time. So I was that right. guy. You were so that guy. I had a level of notoriety around the school. Yeah. And um, no one at that school thought you were my driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I knew that I wanted to pursue comedy and I. Went along to the last laugh. Uh, the uh... right. So now, tell me about those days because this is so romantic to me. This idea of the last laugh, which was on Smith Street in yes, in uh, Collingwood. Yeah. So the first time I ever saw live stand-up comedy was at the last laugh. Yeah. My friends and I uh, from the country, we got a we'd seen Jamoan on yeah. on the big gig. Yeah. And uh, we got a like we taped it like because yeah. back in those days the ABC was simulcast on ABC radio, yeah. Yeah. and so we would tape we'd watch the show, but then yeah. we'd tape the whole show off the radio yeah. and like it'd get passed around school, mm. you know, on a cassette was it on a cassette yeah, tape, you know, yeah. and we know all the Doug Anthony All Stars songs yeah. off yeah. by heart, and yeah. you know. Um, and so it was an amazing time, but we saw Jumon and we thought, oh, we've got to go and see, like, you know, this yeah. guy. So we saw he was on The Last Laugh. And downstairs so, or upstairs? Upstairs. Yeah, the joke, right? And uh, yeah, that's right, the yeah. joke. He yeah. was upstairs, that's yeah. right. And uh, so we've got the train down from the country. Mm. We've got fake IDs because mm. it was like a licensed venue mm. and we're all 15. Mm. Like, you know, it turns out they didn't mm. check him that closely at The Last yeah. Laugh. Yeah. Who would have yeah. known? Um, we've got there at seven for like an eight o'clock show, you know, <laughs> like, right. Not cool. We're all sitting yeah, like, you know, yeah, down yeah. having yeah. frozen margaritas <laughs> or something. And, and we didn't realize that like how a comedy show worked either. No, I was exactly the same. So like we thought it would just be Jamoan, yeah. but it wasn't. It was uh, a guy called Steph Torek, who yeah. I'm sure you yeah. would know. He yeah. was doing a yeah. character called Pasha, which yeah. was an old yeah. character he did. Yeah. And uh, then two guys that none of us had ever heard of doing stand-up, uh, Tony Martin and Mick Malloy. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Like yeah. just doing like solo spots, yeah. the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Jamoan. So that was the night. So the last laugh to me has, like when I was learning about comedy and when I was like, you know, learning about the history of Melbourne comedy. And I'm a person that thinks if you're going to be in any in industry, you should try to know about the history of the industry yes. and the people yeah. who... The people who built the industry that you get to work in, the you elders, know, yeah, the right, elders of the tribe, yeah. yeah it's yeah. but it's mm, like, mm. and so those times have a very kind of mystical quality to me. What was it like at the well, last laugh and the joke back in the day? Time now, as you said before, there's a lot of people in um, in stand up. Melbourne is really Australia really punches above its weight as far as stand up comedy comedy goes. Mate, it's I mean, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and and it, the only sad part about that is 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 that for me. Back when I back back when I started, uh, there I've said it. Um, <laughs> there was a, there was um, it was more cabaret orientated. In other words, it was it, 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 for people to do characters or sketches or yep. songs or what, whatever. It was very much accepted. So within a night, you would see a stand up, you would see a character act, you'd see sometimes we we show comedy films. We would uh, we had all sorts of options. And I started off doing because I'd come through the, the acting background, doing monologue uh, character based things. And because I was theatre trained. I honestly had never seen stand-up comedy before, so to me there was a fourth wall. Right. And now we all know, everyone knows what the fourth wall is. Should we explain what the fourth you wall can is? You explain. Yeah. Well, basically, is that is that what is happening on stage? That this is the drama teacher coming out. Well, you, See, you, once you, a drama teacher, always a drama teacher. You're in a room, and there are four walls. So, in other words, the audience doesn't exist. The audience is the fourth wall of that room. So you are having a conversation, albeit by yourself. You're st- the, the the audience doesn't exist. So. You're in a world. So when the audience then, 
yells out at you or heckles or does whatever, they break the fourth wall. So do you have a choice then? Do you pretend that that didn't happen and remain in your world or do you acknowledge? And I very, very quickly had to learn within the characters that I was doing that there was no fourth wall and so therefore I had to respond. So I would respond in character. Now think of Barry Humphreys, that's exactly what he does, but he would still do monologue-based things with Sandy Stone and these other characters. But, so there, was, no, there was, was never really a fourth wall, but it sort of goes between the two. And it's, it's interesting now with stand-up comedy, sometimes people are blurring the fourth wall. They're, they're, they're almost putting a fourth wall up going, let's just pretend that something is happening. And, sometimes, and then they'll break it and you go, and then they'll put it back up again. So you're going, hang on, I'm, I'm getting a little bit confused here. Anyway, um, I forgot what my point was. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I existed in that world doing, doing um, character-based things, little five-minute monologues, and that's where Uncle Arthur started. A lot of the characters that I did in Comedy Company sort of were, were, were seated there and I did them on stage for a long time. And who, was, who else like, were you performing with? Because like, uh, how old are you at this stage? I'm in. I started when I was 24, and you're still te- like doing emergency teaching at the same time. Yeah, I did emergency teaching for around about seven years. So, from the my mid 20s through to my, to late 20s, 30s, that and I I started to doing little. I started little bits of television, occasional ads and so forth, and then round about I did a show called oh god a, show, a late night show the oh god. Uh, what was it called? Eleven o'clock. Oh no! Oh. What was it called? Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, I did a show Channel Seven. Right. Um, By the way, it's nice to get to a point in your career where you I can know, forget got, some of yeah, the shows you've yeah, done. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was the, that was the core of basically the comedy company. There were two cores. There was kind of the there was some there was us, and then there was a, like a Wendy Harmer group, and there was like a Visard group. Anyway, the the comedy company went on to get a, a gig at Channel 10 um, and uh, and then those other people eventually came to television. So I I gave up doing the teaching stand-up thing sort of in the mid to late 80s and then started basically doing main, uh, uh, stand-up and touring stand-up uh, with, with, with characters and, and then that drifted away because I started doing full-time television, um, which was you know all that comedy company period into fast forward into working with Jamo and um, so let, let's not just uh, brush screw across <laughs> that let's talk about some of that because that's interesting to me because as a kid so now I'm gonna like the the, the comedy company in particular um, there was a time in Australia where that that was the biggest show on television. Yeah. Like it was, you know, it yeah. was all people were talking about. Yes. Like it yeah. just, something happened and every kid in every classroom quoted, could quote yeah. every character from yeah. that show. It was yeah. Yeah. a phenomenon. Yes. But it didn't start like that, did it? I, I, from what I remember, it kind of, it like, did it kick around a little bit before it really banged it in? It started on a, uh, on a Thursday night and I, I don't want to sort of, you know, Gazump Ian McFadden, but I reckon it was influenced initially by a show called Not the Nine O'clock News. Yep. In other words, it wanted to be character-based sketches that were that were topically. Oh yeah, there was a topical because that was like a you know topical political sketch comedy show. Yes, yes, and I believe there was so we're on a Thursday night on Channel Ten. You know, I remember when we did the pilot for it. uh, Kim Gingell and I did it, and then we both turned to each other in the Channel Ten Channel Ten canteen and said. 
they want it. They actually want this show. Now, that's right. not me boo. Not, not me no, no. But I think that's also an interesting yeah. thing for us to talk about yeah. because – People only ever see the end of the story yes, in some do. ways. Yes, they, they never do. see that moment because people who are listening to this, I imagine, I don't really know, but like from the feedback that I get, like, you know, a lot of people who listen to this are listening to this because they're at a point in their life where they're thinking, am I doing the right thing yes. or what yeah. am I doing or yeah. what is all, all this about? Yeah. Like, so it's interesting, I think, to hear often that at the start of something that was going to become something that probably helped define the rest of your career. Yes that you were unsure about whether yeah, it yeah. was going to work or yeah. whether it was... Yeah, absolutely unsure whether it was... And I'll be honest, I wouldn't think it was very good. Yeah. And and we 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 did a couple of episodes on the Thursday night and they were rating okay. Then, I forget the lady's name, there was a show called The Dolly Parton Show. Right. It was 7.30 Sunday nights on... On Channel 10, they took the comedy company and they put it into a family time slot. Right. Then, then, and I dare you have to give Ian McFadden credit at this point because then he directed the writing purely at a family based time slot. And uh-huh. then we're going to make suburban based characters and we're going to write it for the family. And there'll be elements in there that people can identify with. So, in other words, it wasn't an edgy show, it was a family based show. And, you know, and there's, there's been criticism over the years and probably in some ways fair, but in other ways unfair because. The show was what it was, you know, set up to be a family-based show at seven thirty. Now, I, sometimes I would go, oh, "I'd be great if we when we have a bit more edge and so forth." But that's not what I do. It's not no. what I'm best at. And I then so I brought those characters that I had developed in in stand-up comedy. So you know, I keep on people say, "Where did you get that character from?" And, and it would have been rolling around in my head, and had had been doing I'd been doing it, you know, on stage for a number of years before I brought it. To, that'd be Uncle Arthur. That'd be the I don't know if you. Your listeners would go back that far, but there was the there was an exercise character, there was a Sharon and Darren character, there was the play school stuff. All that stuff was germinated and developed in through live stand up. So that that's that's the exciting part too, because it means that when you're developing things in front of a small audience, it is not wasted time and it's it's that's why things like the comedy festival are so important, right? Because you can, you you are given a stage to take risks. So this is it goes if you know for people who've obviously heard me talk about this before, but like you know the that Malcolm Gladwell idea of the you know the ten thousand hours that you yeah, have yeah, to yeah, do yeah, to yeah, get yeah, good at something, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sometimes you don't know when you're doing, like what you're you don't know what when you're. I went on radio yesterday and they asked me about saunas. Like they said, oh, we're having like we're going to do half an hour on saunas because one of us is going to a sauna tonight. Mm. Like eight years ago, I bought a house that had a sauna in it, and I've had this cracking story about this sauna that I've never had the opportunity to tell. Yes. And then yesterday on radio, yes. like out of the blue, and then I walked out of the radio studio, and they were all just like, oh "My God, I can't believe you had all that material yeah, on no. saunas." And I said, "Well, it's just been sitting there for eight years." That's my original point. My original point is that's where the good stuff lives, and right. too often the, the, it's guarded by the ego for fear. And I would have exactly the same thing when I when I'd be writing for the comedy company or um or for fast forward during the week or or even over a time and i notice over on the desk over here on the you have a number of black books yes which is exactly the same as me i'm not one for typing things i think i am a little bit but i i have a number of those and all my initially everything goes in the book yeah yeah so you, like if it goes from my head to the book yeah and then maybe it'll go on the computer and often then it goes back into the book but but something happens at that point of yep. writing it down I where agree. you plant that seed. And then we would go, and albeit it would only be uh, maybe a few weeks later, that you would pitch those ideas. And as I remember it would go around the circle and I'd go, oh, shit, what have I got? I I've got that one, I've got that one. And then you would just 
start to talk about the idea, then all this other stuff would come out. You're yep. going, where did that come from? And that's that's the, that's the little animal coming down to feed. It, 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 it's just, if you just allow it, it's called flow, whatever you want to call it. And it's amazing what happens when you just let things sit. So that's that's it, that's time and effort. And- but time, this is and this is the interesting thing about it to me, which is time is the thing that we seem to have cut out of all our equations. Yes, yes. For efficiency. Yeah. Like you know the idea of and I look, I struggle with this myself. Like so, I've just uh, I'm, you know by the time people hear this, I will have just finished my Melbourne Comedy Festival run. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do now with the show, because I've got, still got another six months of touring this show, yeah. but I want to kind of put it on the blocks and like, you know, put it back together again yes. and freshen it up. And the only way I can do that is to have like three weeks where I just don't have to do anything but just wander around, think about the talk show, to talk to myself. Like, but to give yourself that, that's what you normally cut out. Yeah. You, yep. you cut out yep. that time. You yep. fill that time up. Yep. Yep. The time where you should be just being creative or thinking or yep. just yep. reading something else yep. or filling your brain with Laying something else. Laying fellow is so undervalued. Right. It's, yeah. So mm. this comes to my point of everybody wants to, you know, get successful straight away in the world that i live in the world of stand-up people will do a gig and they'll film it and they'll put it on youtube and they'll pass it around and i i'm not sure well i want your thoughts i guess is what i'm saying on this idea of you know the reason that you got to that show and you were ready to go and you were so confident with these characters was you've been living with these characters and working these characters for years whereas like these days i think people kind of like you know, like even with sketch shows, to use that as a direct example, like they get a bunch of kids in who are really great, but then they just give them all new characters and all yeah, new things and yeah. think it's all just going to yeah, yeah, yeah. magically work. Yeah, yeah. The the point of doing work behind the scenes to get yourself right, what are your thoughts well, on I that? Well, I think that in my case it was different. The, the internet didn't exist mm. and television in a comedic sense didn't exist either. So we had nowhere to go. The best that we had was you do a show at the joke upstairs and the, what you dreamt of was asked to be uh, maybe do a, a Christmas show at the joke yep. and if that really went well you would go downstairs to do a show at the last laugh right and that was that was it hey hey it's Saturday would occasionally have um, guest comedians the Ray Martin show would have comedians right. the midday show mid- the midday yep. show um, and I think that was it so there therefore. You just stayed in that orbit and you kept on creating and kept on doing. Unfortunately, now, with you, more with your generation, you, the world is almost your outlet. You can, you, can, you can put a YouTube clip up and it can go viral and you can become – there's lots of internet stars out there. And right. Having said that, I still believe that you can put stuff out there and it doesn't resonate and so therefore, you know. But this, everyone's everyone, – every, it seems like everyone – is doing it's more about that than it is about really getting inside your own head. In some ways, it's it, it, it's it's good that that people still just get. That's why going out and still performing in front of an audience is is really a good thing. I don't I don't know about recording it and putting it and filming it and so forth. Something happens. I don't know. There's something happens, and maybe you understand this better than me. That that it just. I don't know. It, it doesn't spoil it, but it changes the perspective on it. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, like, I yeah. mean, you know what you were saying before about the idea of um, a crowd having sort of a mind of its own? Mm-hmm. You know, that like, you know, one individual can laugh at your joke or one individual can find you funny, but there's something about being there on a night where everybody's in the same. And like, I often say, like, when it comes to performing, particularly when I'm doing a long run, like, it's like surfing. 
The oh, show's pretty. I'm, I'm totally. Agree. The show's pretty much the same yeah. every night. Yeah. But it's just how I like get yeah. in tune with the you know the waves. Yeah. You know, and you, and you listen to the room and you, and you right. It's important. But I, and surfing is a perfect analogy for me. The laughter is. Some, it, it can pick you up. And, and if people who are non-performers are listening to this, the energy that, that a laughter gives you, the oxygen it, it breathes into you of, of risk-taking, is just so empowering. I mean, we all know when we sit around a table and we make our friends laugh, it feels great. You multiply that by 100 or, or in your case, 1,000. It, it is an incredible feeling. So it does give you the confidence to take, to take risks. And it's the same with a television show. But do it too early... And there's something that short circuits, and I'm not sure what it is. I think that um, one of the most interesting things about what you're saying about the audience, because the audience plays a big role, in, particularly in a live show, yeah. like a massive role. And it's, it's such a weird thing, because you can't explain this to the audience. This is not how it works. But it, there is sometimes where I want to say to them, you know, the better you are, the better I'll be yeah, and the yeah. more fun you'll have. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, there is actually an element of if you give me permission, like if you're a, you know, a, a meek and mild audience, like, you know what, you're going to get what I prepared yes. and I'll do it the best I can yeah. possibly do yes. it. But if you give me a little bit of latitude, I'm going to improvise, I'm going to have some fun, I'm going to muck around. And is the risk taking on stage or is the risk taking in, in the walks in the park when you think about it? Do you think that... I, I like to think all of it at the moment. Like, I mean, what I'm trying to do more and more with what I'm doing is like... Is just try to constantly be taking risks. You know, like I, um, when I was putting together this show, I did eight hours of improvised shows at the Sydney Comedy Store. Yes. Like, so I'd walk out every night for an hour and just like saw what happened. And the the only reason I could do that was I gave myself permission for it to go shit beforehand. Yeah. Louis C.K. talks about throwing, starting at the end and throwing away his material regularly. And I I think that that, that's incredibly brave. In some ways, you're throwing away a beautifully crafted piece but I understand that if you want to keep on moving forward you need to take that risk and and how, do you do, do you, how do you deal with that how do you deal with the fact that you have a level of stature and a notoriety or a high level um, that when you you punch and it doesn't resonate what, what part of you responds oh I mean I think that well I mean again this probably goes back to the ego again which is like in that moment like you you're so desperate like there's something inside you that so desperately needs to entertain people or make it work that you can go to a place that you can't go to like sitting there with my notebook or sitting in front of my computer or even on my walk I can't go to the place that being in front of an audience demands that you go yes you know it's it's the same reason that I can go to the bathroom five times before I go on stage and I can then talk for 80 minutes while I drink four beers and not need to go to the toilet there's something about being on stage and being in that moment that it's a different you're you're operating on a different level you talk to um, if I talk to uh, Jamoan or um, Carl Barron they often talk about when they don't get to laugh to to sit into that to to almost celebrate it and to to feel that energy in the room because our instinct is oh my god I just tried to be funny and I wasn't. Yeah. That's profound. Yeah. That is profound. <laughs> that is where the, the intriguing stuff lives. And I think I don't go there with my stand up, but I do go there with, with my characters. I yep. just go, I, I don't know where this is going to go. It's, let's just go. And, you know, w- whether it be a dance routine or whatever, I, 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 I would just go, let's just see what happens. No, I, I don't, like with dance routines, I don't try, ever try to be funny. I just live the truth of it. Mm. I just live the. I just go. This is how. If I act passionately at this moment, 
I guess I'm confident that it can be, but I don't think about it being funny. I don't think I'm being funny right now. And that's, and that's right. a weird thing. So that's interesting to me, like about the idea of like, you know, playing the truth. And so when you are a character, like what is like the process for you getting into that character? Like, are you like, cause he's like, to use Barry Humphreys as an example, right? Yep. Barry Humphreys, if he's dressed as Edna, He's Edna. Yeah. Like he's not Barry. No. You know what I mean? Like when you talk to him yep. as Edna, even if it's backstage, it's Edna. Yeah. Like and in fact, Barry will talk about Edna in the third person. Yeah. Like you will catch up with Barry for a drink after. I'm saying this like this happens all the time, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. This has happened once in my life, but yeah. I'm like making it seem like Barry Humphreys and I hang out all the time. Yeah. Um, but you catch up for a drink and he refers to Edna like in the third person like yes. she was yep. particularly mean tonight yes. or whatever yeah. what, what what where are you in that I, spectrum i well <coughs> i believe that even with 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 Barry and with me um, there's there's a uh, is no doubt it reflects a certain part of your psyche so in other words if you can if you can if you work on the technical of the character work out how he moves, how he looks, how he speaks, whether he's good. In some, in some case, it's a speech impediment or it might be a, a dress or whatever it is. It takes you out of being you, but there's no doubt that you're opening a door and, get, and it's the bravery of being able to get into that. Now, you probably have it, you probably have that character in your own stand-up. In other words, there's you, then there's something, someone you become when you step onto that stuff. Oh, I'm yeah, not saying it's not you. Oh, no, no. Yeah. It's, but it's, uh, it's definitely a version yeah, of and, me. It's just a version of me. And everybody has that. It's the you're... version of me that does that. Yes. So, And we all have that in our life. We all have the, when we put that shirt on to go to work, yeah. we to get through the day, we know how to speak and yeah. how to be and how, and it opens up a professional side of your head. And, and people understand that. You can yeah. be a different person at work than you are yeah. At, yeah. Like with your family, that you yeah. are with your footy mates or whatever. Yeah. People understand the idea that we're all every day kind of playing different versions yeah. of ourselves in different situations. So to me, that's really all it is. I just give myself that message when I'm going into, into character and if in doubt... I inve- if I understand the the heart and soul of the character, and I go into a scene, I, I pre- if in doubt, I go, "What would I do?" Yeah. So therefore, and I let the comedy play on top of that. I don't go, "How am I going to be funny?" I go, "Live the truth of it," and let kind of let the rest take care of itself. So, and the only way you can do that is 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 trust yourself, and hopefully you you you're working within a team of people, whether it be the working dog guys or the Kath and Kim girls, that that trust you love you want to see you take risks and when you do take risks they genuinely laugh at you so i do that i let the rest take care of itself really so i don't i try not to think about it too much i know when i think about it that means i'm trying too hard and you don't free yourself because when you free yourself you surprise yourself you go well you know i imagine artists when they go okay i'm just going to flick some paint over there and that looks good I don't know why I did that, but I'm going to do it again. Um, it's that place. Yeah. Flow. I don't know. There's a book called Flow, which is, which I forget who it's by, but it's that thing that that space you get into. And um, you know, I'm not. If you look at my body of work, I'm not great technically. It's not like I'm great at accents or impersonations, or but I think I'm pretty good at getting in in touch with that side of myself. Whether you, whether you look at my you look at all my characters. They're just sides of me. There's there's confidence. There's arrogance. There's sensibility. Sensibility. There's vulnerability. There's there's all things. And so when I come to do a scene, 
for example, if I do if I do a Russell Coit, I just know that if I'm a little cocky, eventually I'll fuck up. Mm. So so <laughs> just go in going thinking you're better than you are and the rest but if you go in trying to be I'm right. gonna make this funny, you won't be. But just go in thinking I, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm great. I, do, do I, I know you- everything. I know everything about this. And therefore, I don't. But if right, I right, but that's an interesting way of you like looking at that. Do you think that in each of your characters, there's some kind of like almost like a flaw, a character flaw or, or something that you hold on to in that regard? Because that's like you describe kind of what's at the heart of Russell there, which yeah. is that he's this supremely confident guy yeah. who's yeah. actually terribly like incompetent yes. most of the time. Yeah, well, the, no, through his enthusiasm yeah, oh, mostly, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, you know. yeah, and he's he's working on a, a low budget, and he he's got to get it done pretty quickly, and he kind of wants the people around him to act the way he wants them to act because he knows what he wants from that scene. So that thereby the writers, Tom Geiser in that case, and me to a lesser extent, um, uh, you put those people in points of conflict where right. the things work against that. So you take them out of their control. If they're in a position of control, they'll still fuck up, but it's at best when they're out of control. So, so things are, gonna, are going to rattle their cage, so to speak. Not that everyone has to get aggressive, but it just, it just undermine them. And then if the, the ground starts moving... Hopefully that's when the, the comedy comes up. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in that. It's, it's, it's a very interesting perspective. And I think that it's something that people are most afraid of is like, you know. Yes. Because we all get that idea of, and you, of, you know, going, well, this is how I've planned it. Yes, yes. And, it, and that idea of like taking something out of that control is scary for people. Yeah. As I said before, if you can put yourself with people that you trust and if yeah. you've got a – I mean, there's no doubt. So do you think that taking that sort of risk is natural in you? Because I would say not necessarily. Is it something that you've had to learn to overcome? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've uh, Look, there's no doubt that when you work with a great script, actors get a lot of credit. Right. And, and you go, you know what? I don't deserve the credit here, honestly. I mean, yeah, I did some stuff that was good technically and I brought my character to it. But when you – I'm telling you – I tell it to people who's just starting out, when you've got a good script, if you feel like you're doing nothing, you are absolutely getting it right because it, it just takes care of itself. Now, the opposite of that is when you're doing some sketch comedy which is written in a very quick turnaround. Right. You've got to bring something yeah. to it. And, <laughs> They're know, like, please pour some sugar on this. Yeah, yeah. This is and, what we need you to do. Yeah, so you then you, – and then people go, oh, yeah. it didn't really work. You go, well, you know what? The turnaround was really quick. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. It didn't really work. They brought in the patient. It, 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 they'd already been dead for three minutes. Yeah, I worked yeah. the paddles. Yeah. I did, gave him mouth to mouth. I did everything I could possibly do. So it, it really is it really is just – it's just that. I, I, I think that, you know, if you can – if you're lucky enough to get a good script or you're lucky enough to be with good people. And as you said before, I I have usually – my best work is usually done by by people that have uh, – things that have been written for me. And I think other people have an ability to see in me that things that I don't see in me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't see – most of the things that I get approached about, I will invariably go, seriously, you want me to do that? Uh-huh. I don't – I don't – so, so how do, how those, do you then say yes to those things? Is it just I, about trusting those people? Yeah, because some one thing that annoys me, people say to me, "We want you because you're well known." And I go, I, I, "Why do you want me to do this role? Oh, because you're well known, and, mm. and and so therefore it'd be fun." Well, that's just ridiculous. I'll, yeah. I'll say no straight away. Right. But if they say, "Look, I don't know. There's something about you that we've we thought you there's a vulnerability to your character that we like we would like you to bring to this character," or 
more, more often with me, it's people that I know. It's the Rob Sitches of the world. It's, it's um, the girls who, who, who see things in me. And often this has happened with the working dog guys. They'll go, we want you to do this. And I'll go, you, you're kidding me. Okay. And at the end of the day... I go okay. I trust you because I can't. Right. I don't see it, and that's really that's, that's really that's really exciting because right. because then you're getting the, you're getting the, the the might and power of of a group of people seeing things in you. Uh, but that's a massive like. I mean, when you talk about vulnerability in characters, that's a massive vulnerability for you as a human being because basically you're admitting. That and again, this is about you know your sense of self or like who you are, like and these things not be competing with each other. Like some people are like, well, I'm Glenn Robbins, like you know I'm gonna fucking do what I want to do, and I know the best about me, and I know you know what's best for me. But to actually say, you know what, sometimes some other people know what's best for me, exactly. and then having the yeah. confidence to trust those people, like that's a big. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I think it is, it is a big deal, and it. it, it it's encouraging in – I mean, that comes back to the original thing of trusting my gut. Often I'll be offered things and it'll be from people that I, I don't know that well and I'll go – and a good example of that was a movie I did a long time ago called Lantana. Yes. Where I looked at it and I went, I don't know these people. I don't really know the other the, the cast but – And it's a serious film. And it's a serious yeah. film. Um, but I'm going to do this and I learned so much from working with Ray Lawrence – and that comes back to the whole acting thing is that in that you, we I was asked to do this film I was doing Russell Court at the time so I was spending time out in the middle of the bush with my pants down yep. doing ridiculous things getting on a plane <laughs> flying up to Sydney I only did about a week on that film but I was coming in on one and two day stints going from that to high highly uh, impacted drum no 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 just just uh, I mean, but no, no, but like yeah. Lantana is like one of the most respected and dramatic Australian films of the last 20 years. Yeah. So you were, I mean, like it's fair to say you were polar opposites of your day. Yes, absolutely. So I remember very vividly the first day on that. And and you, when you walk into a, onto a film set, there's lights and there's cameras and there's people giving you drinks and seats and there's a, a buffet and it's incredible. And you go, oh, well, I have to become movie Glenn. Right. And you feel... Interesting. You feel you get a look on your face, and you get a posture, yeah. and you want the world that that world to know, hey, I'm okay. Yeah, I can do the acting. I'm moving. Thing. And you catch your, your 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 brow getting a little bit furrowed. You, yeah. you, you get a little bit intense. And and I did the first scene. I can't remember what it was. And uh, and Ray said cut, and he just said. Just Come over here and have a look at the split. The split is where you can watch it, watch it on a little video screen. And he goes, he didn't say anything. He, just, he goes, have a look. And he goes, what did you think? And I went, yeah, it's not really, not quite there yet. And he goes, you're acting. Yeah. Stop it. Just let it play. Yeah, right. And I know that doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't sound that profound, but no, no, no. But, but what happened from that point forward was we would shoot the scene. We'd do a first take and he'd say, cut, moving on. He goes, seriously? He goes, he goes you can't do any better than that. I, l- I learned not to act and to let it play. And this is one of the, this is a brilliant script. You don't need to do much with this script to make it, for it to work. So trust the script, trust the director. And I just, 90% of that film is first take, well, it was for me anyway. And the things that were six and seven and eight takes didn't make the cut. Yeah. So that's telling you something that we were chasing it. We had some little bumps in the road where, uh, because it had come from a place, some of the dialogue uh, was a little, 
uh, and the, the writer will probably kill me for saying in some ways it might have been a bit exhibitional. Right. So therefore we 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 improvise some scenes. Um, and within the same subtext, yeah. Um, and uh, but that's why I learnt a lot to to trust and just just let it play. Right, but that c- comes back to the very thing we've been talking about yep. this whole podcast. That's yep. what Steve Waugh was saying. Mm. You can't you can't be, be exactly. pretending to be a cricketer. Yep. yep. You've got to like trust that all the stuff you've done to get you to that point, yes. and yep. then get out of your own way. Get out of it, you've it, got it to let the, it play. It is, it is the mantra, and there's no doubt that you have to spend a lot of time in the nets to find that and to right. build that muscle in you. Yeah. Or be it, but 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 then it it is when you do that. It's not a simple process, but it nearly is. I mean, Shane Warne's a good friend of mine, and he he talks to kids, and and you can say a lot about Shane, but he says to me, he says, the one thing that he, the one responsibility he has when he walks through that gate, is to be happy. He knows that if he's happy, yep. the good things will come. He knows if he goes out and he tries to take wickets, that's the worst thing he can say to himself. Yep. He knows, in other words, if I know uh, if I try to be intense in in Lantana, or I try to be really funny. I will get in my own way. Yep. And that's the big fear. That's where the ego comes into it. That's the big fear. Yeah, but you might not. So therefore, let's just tighten up a little bit. Let's just cover our bases and make sure that we're not embarrassed here. So you go through that and everyone says, you know what? Drop your guard. You're going to be okay. God, it feels good. All right. So yeah. Yeah. so this feels like a really nice place to be in. And I, and I think that for me, like, you know, that idea of giving yourself permission. I think a lot of it, it's about working out how, because it's not going to be the same for everybody. No. But how how can I prepare to do this job best? Yes. And sometimes doing the job best is, you know, preparing to a certain point and then getting out of your way yes. to actually do yep. the job. Like, yep. And it's not about not preparing or it's not no. about doing all those other things. It's just going, knowing yourself yes. and knowing what you need to get the, yes. the job done. Yes. But what I want to talk to you about, because from externally, I'm sure that like from the outside world, people are like, well, the, your career's just been nothing but gold and every bit of it's just gone great. Like, But I understand that like, you know, within that, I'm sure there's been periods of time where you didn't feel like that was the case. Yeah, absolutely. There's... Mass, I mean, a lot of torment, a lot of over-analysis, a lot of overthinking for the fear of failure. Yep. And it just getting to that point of confidence, it, it's really, really hard. Um, so, so, and, there's, and there's, the, there's what you do and there's the risk-taking and then there's the, uh, the public appraisal or disapproval of it. Well, how do, so how yeah. do you process that? How important I, is the public liking or not liking stuff you the, do to you? There is no doubt that it's 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 important. It's really important. Uh, there's no doubt that there's there's elements of fragile ego there. That that there's a, I I probably still struggle with with. I mean, I'm thinking about people listening to this now, thinking, "Oh my God, could he wank any harder?" No, no, no. Yeah, that's but, why. But, that's why yeah, they've. Jo- yeah, that's yeah. why they've tuned in. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I must admit, I keep my my radar of approval fairly tight in that I I look to the director, I look to the creators, and if I can, for the time being, I leave it at that. Yep. In time, I might go and. In, and, and read uh, um, reviews and so forth, but it's best if it's down the road a little bit. Uh-huh. There's, there's a much better objectivity because at the time, I reckon that th- that it would undermine me. 
I would become too obsessed with it and I'd right. probably get angry. Yep. And the moment that I get angry, it changes me. Because the, 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 the good part of me is like a small child. Uh-huh. And once the, the child gets reprimanded or, or asked, what are you doing? They go, I, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I was just playing. And I know that that part of me will shut down which is the risk-taking, the playful, the artistic, it will shut down because I'll be too caught up in the, he said that? You want to pay me this much money or you want me to do that? I can't believe that. So I keep it, but the short answer is I keep it fairly close and I don't really want people, and if people approach me in the public, I don't know whether I'm that, I'm not sure how people perceive me publicly. (laughs) I'm not sure whether I'm one of those people that looks easy to come up to or not. And I'm not sure what people, how people have dealt with, but I'm not sure I'm that good at it. Right. I'm not sure that I'm... I try. I feel like you would make it more unnecessarily awkward than it needed to be. I, I do try my yeah. best, but I'm not great at it. No. Yeah, and I, it's, I get a little bit embarrassed and I probably want to move on pretty quickly. It's not right. that I don't... But often people say to me, you know, I love what you do, and at the time it's a bit awkward, but then I walk away and go, oh, that was really nice, good. Nice, right? That was really yeah. good. I, I, and every time someone says it, I go, that was great. Yeah. And the weirdest one, if anyone ever says to me, I'm sorry, I'm sure you hear this all the time and then says something nice, I said, well, I, I don't hear that all the time. Yeah. In fact, quite a lot of the time I hear negative things. Yeah. Secondly, if, if I did hear that all the time, that would still be awesome. Yeah. Still uh, please come up and tell me that. That's yeah, good. Uh, yeah. You can, I know that I have said it to incredibly successful people and I meant it. And you see it straight away. I had a, I, um, I was um, on a holiday in in Queensland. I was walking on a back path, uh, and there was a guy walking in front of me with a child, and he spun around, and it was Billy Connolly. Right. And I went, oh, Billy. And I, then he went, oh, he just he sort of nodded and, and then walked off. And I went, right. Glenn, you fucking idiot. <laughs> You've gone the old Billy thing. And it was purely out of – right. it just came out. Right. We were – we were – I was – I had, weirdly was reading his biography uh-huh. at the same time. We were on the beach the next day. I was sitting on the beach reading his book, looking across at him going, my God, I can't believe you did that. Anyway, we got to chatting. And um, he he found out that I was in comedy, and we went out for dinner. And and he, I wouldn't say he became a good friend, but we spent some time together. And every time he came to Melbourne, um, we would we we would go back to back backstage and 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 have a chat. He did a really interesting thing though. This was intriguing to me because when we were on that beach up in Queensland, I told him a joke about. And I won't do the joke justice. It wasn't a great joke, but the joke is about the polar bears walking through the snow, and the baby polar bear says to the father polar bear, "What sort of polar bear am I? Am I a? Well, what sort of bear am I? That's what. What sort of bear am I? Am I a koala bear? Am I what's another sort of? Am I a grizzly bear? Yeah. Am I a, a black bear? A black bear. Right. And the father says, you're, you're, "You're a polar bear. That's a pretty weird question. Why do you ask?" And the little bear goes, because I'm fucking cold. Right. Anyway, now that's not so, – so, but what I did was I did this movement with my hands of how bears walk. And uh-huh. I, we're on podcast. You can't, but you can see my hands are doing that. Yeah. And Billy really liked that. He really liked the way that I epitomised the bear. Right. So I think the next time he came to Australia, he told a joke with a bear in it. Yeah. And he did that. Did hand the hands? Movement. He did the hand yeah. movement. 
And then I went and saw him backstage. I, I don't know him that well. Yep. And he said to me, did you see that I did the, right. the hand movements of the bear? I said, yeah, I did. He goes, he goes, I did that just to let you know that I knew you were there and to, for me to say, it's good to have you here. It was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Billy Connolly changed his act. Right. To make me feel now, that's a bit of a brag. I no, know. no, no. You're allowed to talk about Billy yeah, Connolly yeah. as much as you want on this yeah. podcast. Yeah, people yeah. know that Billy Connolly is my my ultimate hero. Have you my, met him? Uh, I have met him twice yeah. in my life. And how were you? Uh, okay, well, the first time uh, that I met him uh, was uh, Adam Spencer and I were doing so. Uh, people have heard this story, but I'll do the quick version. Yeah, just give me the. But um, it, so the my when I was seventeen. My mum took me to Hamer Hall, at the, just down the yeah. road here at the Melbourne yeah. Arts yeah. Centre, yeah. to see Billy Connolly for my 17th birthday. Yeah. And it was that moment, really, sitting in that room, the, like watching him, where I just yeah. went, this, yeah. I've got to be around this. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to be around this, but this is what I've got to be around for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, you know, 20 years later, I'm just down the road, so yeah. it worked out okay. Yeah. But, um, it, I, so we were doing, he did a... An Australian film, maybe even called "The Man Who Sued God," or was a little film oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. so he came out to Australia, did like a little press tour thing. Yeah. And Adam Spencer and I interviewed him, and it was like one of those things where he like you know he did six or eight yeah. interviews that morning, and then yeah. they're having a lunch break, and then yeah. they'll get him back into it. So he, we were the last interview before the the lunch break, yeah. and yeah, you know, we kind of told him the story, and I told him the story that I was doing stand up now, and it was because you know yeah. like of him because and of him. and. Uh, so he said, oh, well, I'm going to this lunch thing. Do you want to like, oh, wow. come to lunch? So wow. it was a bunch of other people, but yeah. he made sure that I sat next to him yeah. and we like talked about comedy yeah. and like, you know, oh, he wanted fantastic. to, yeah. you know, he, I mean, I, I rang my mum afterwards, like immediately. I've never really been starstruck in that yeah. way yeah. ever since. But yeah. I remember ringing her just going, you'll never believe what happened, like, you know. Mm. And she goes, oh, what did you talk about? And he goes, like, oh, so, like mostly me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was interested in... He's more interested in... in right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me that he remembers those things yes. or picks up those yeah. things because he seems to me to be a person who is genuinely more interested in other people. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him a great comedian. Yes. Because a lot of the time, you've just got to have an interest in other people. And if you're interested in other people, you'll see why other people are interesting and fascinating. Yeah. And then you yeah. can relate to everybody, yeah. which is why he can relate to yeah. everybody. Because yeah. he's not saying, this is my view of the world. His whole thing is, isn't life and, and aren't people weird and interesting, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, like he's he, – so uh, – and in one other time very briefly. But like he's uh, – the thing that I discussed on this podcast before was that when I found out that he was ill, that affected yeah. me in a way that yes. I was – like it overwhelmed me. Can you bring me up to how he is? Because I haven't heard. Well, I mean, yeah. so he he's had the operation, and so he's got his Parkinson's. Yes. So that's like yeah. going to be yeah. get, get yeah. worse and worse. But yeah. apparently, he's okay with the cancer stuff. Was right. last right. thing that I heard. Is he is he speaking publicly? Is he being? Is he talking about? Yes. It? Right. So I I he was on uh, Mark Maron's podcast oh, WTF great. and great. like did a. Yeah, really good interview on that. Right. So he's out and about, oh, and he seems well, in must, must he seems in good spirits and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But I was the thing that I thought about a lot was that I've had this like really wonderful life, like a life that I feel genuinely yeah. grateful for. Like you know, yeah. and hopefully there's heaps more of it to go, yeah. and it has been without its struggles. But it, like, as a general sense of, can I say, did I get to do what I wanted to do and be part of the world I wanted to be part of? Yes. 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 And I think that all that joy, like a lot of that came because 
of that, that, of that, yeah. of that moment. Yeah. So not only has he given me joy as an, like an inspiration or a mentor, but he's given my life all this joy. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, because of the job that I have done, some people who come and see my shows have like, yes. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like fucking Amway is yeah. my point. Yeah. Like, yeah. like some of those laughs mm-hmm. he deserves. Yeah. Like yeah. I should be sending yeah. him some tape recordings just yeah. going, you know, yeah. anyway. So, Heroes and mentors is an interesting area because yes. I'd like to know if you have them, if you have role models, if there are people that you look up to or is that something that's important to you in any Well, way? obviously, when I first started, um, Humphrey, Barry Humphreys was a bit – because I saw him so young and uh, he, he, he created characters, which I always had the, the passion to do, and he, he wrote about what he knew. He wrote from the heart. So that was my mantra. So basically that's – how I got started, I just I wrote about things that I or created characters that I knew. Uncle Arthur was most of my dad, and, and a lot of the characters that I uh, I saw as I went through teaching, I just I, I I created them. So, as far as individual uh, people, um, I always I was I mean I'm lucky that a lot of them have been my friends. I'm right, hugely. Uh, but that's interesting in itself. Yeah, I like mean, I think that, yeah, like I mean, I yeah. I feel blessed to have, like you know, I mean, to have someone like Husey, for example, yeah. that I can, t- who the two of us have Incredible. essentially had very similar yeah. careers. Having that capacity to be able to just call somebody and yeah. talk about, like we we have our very we have our first world problem comedy festival conversations with each other, you know, out the back of the stage, complaining about the things that only mm. people at our yeah, like th- that. If we had those conversations in front of anybody else, they would yeah. rightfully punch us in the face. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. but you need to have someone yeah. to be inspired by, to like collaborate with, yeah. and they can be your friends or compatriots. Yeah, well, I, I'm like, the same thing. I've had uh, with with the working dog guys, with Rob Sitch, with Sandra Chalaro, with Tom Gleisner. I mean, they, they've been an incredible uh, influence on in my my career. Jane Turner, Gina Riley, uh, again, uh, the, the, and they're I probably named the, the biggest ones uh, who I just feel safe with. I love and care about, and and encourage me to take and encourage me to take risks and seeing things in myself that I don't I don't necessarily see, and I admire their levels of inter- It's interesting because you know because sometimes you think to yourself, but why? And I know that with those people, I probably bring things to them that 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 I, that they can't do, and 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 vice versa. So yeah. it's a shared thing, and opposites often are. Can they can be frustrating, but they 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 shake you and take you out of, you know. How, do, how does something like that balance, though? Because all those people that you've named, like, you know, a cavalcade of, like, superstars of Australian comedy. Tony Martin, I should also mention as well. Um, yeah, yeah. They are, are not mostly people who seem to have been driven to be the star again. Like, you know, you're talking about across that bunch of people, there are plenty of them who are stars. Yes. But a lot of them have been kind of become stars in ensembles. Even the yes. girls, it's yes. Kath and Kim. Yes. Like, it's not, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's not yeah. one over the other. It's never yeah. been yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. How behind the scenes, how, and without, I don't, I'm not asking for like gossip or anything yeah. like that. I'm more just talking about the dynamic of working with a bunch of people who are all creative, who all bring their own egos and insecurities yeah. and stuff to the table. Yeah. How does like an environment like that actually work? Well, I, it, it, it's nothing, I can't tell you anything now that I haven't already said on this podcast. I think that I know those people are, are motivated by purely creativity. They're never motivated by opportunity or money. So well, that's uh, that's yeah, that's something yeah. that's worth lingering on. Yeah. Like I mean, without because you say that matter of factly, but I think that's quite a rare 
thing in this day and age like to have a group of people and i think that's a good lesson like yeah. those people have all become very very successful yes. but by just choosing things that they were creatively motivated yeah by. and there's no doubt that they they too go through like you go through not doubt but the, you, you there's a fear in any new idea and they and they like uh, they talk and and i've been lucky enough to sit around and talk with those people and so therefore you go through those levels of doubt and you go so and when and when in doubt you know some the mistake would be to gravitate back towards something that you know that works and often a network a radio station will push you in a direction where you go oh look I we really it, it was a bit like this and they'll name some show or some team or whatever and you'll go yeah but that's not really me and that's not and so there's there's your own self doubt and their self doubt and their lies the hard road but that if you can go down that hard road and you can push down it you will find exciting stuff in invariably this is not bragging but sometimes when you go down that road you look back and there's a, there are people following uh, going down that road right you, you go well that's you know that those people have cut it and other people but that's the nature of the business you can't you can't you know own everything but okay well tell uh, me yeah. tell me about this then um has there been a time is there like a regret or a mistake that you made or a time where you went, I should not have done this? And how did you then deal with making a mistake if there is one? There, there's been moments on the, on the panel when I probably said things that I regret, but they were in the moment and they, were, they, they taught me to listen to the voice of, don't listen to the voice of try hard and be funny, listen to the voice of, of wisdom. So I, that's how. What I, sort I, of? I, I come back. Sorry, but come. I come back to my intent. Usually, if I fail, but I know my intent was good, I'm okay with it. Okay, yeah. If I know my intent mm-hmm. was to be a smart, it was to be hurtful, yeah, or to to have an easy shot, I will. Rep- I I don't need to be. I will do a very good job of right. of, of reprimanding myself, and I will it will. You know, so you've got a like a you've got an uh, like a auto editor or like an you you're you're your own harshest critic. Is that what you're uh, saying yeah, in regard uh, yeah, to that? Yeah, yeah, uh, and and indulgently so. I think yeah. sometimes I think you 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 got to get over you sometimes. Right. You, sometimes, you gotta, sometimes you're like, oh god, I really hate myself. Yeah, yeah Like this yeah. is personal. Yeah, this is to, an actual criticism. You've got to make some mistakes, and you got and if you are learning to ski and you fall over a lot, then you go, well, I'm pushing, I'm 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 going to a limit there. So yeah. So if you fall over, I can get a bit. The perfectionist in one is a little is an an indulgence that you have to get over at times. Right, and I'm I'm not sure what you're like. How are you when you make a mistake in a record or a, or or or? Ah, oh, mate, like a, a, so. You, who's me now compared to me five years ago is a completely different person right. in regard to that. Like I. One of the things that if I could go back and like, you know, fix things and I mean, God, if we could go back and fix things, you know, and, and the other thing is if I went back and fixed those things, who would I be now? Like, you know, but the one thing is there's a couple of things that I've learned over the journey, which is particularly when you're performing, somebody said something to me, which my favorite bit of advice. It's everybody's day at work. Yes, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. such a simple way of putting yeah, it. Yeah. Guess what? It's that makeup lady's day at work. Yeah, and it's yeah. the director's day at work. Oh and it's God, the cameraman's it's day me. at work. Yeah, yeah, like every yeah. every how that when they go home tonight and their wife or their husband says, Did you yeah. have a nice day? Yeah. Part of that is like that's their day. Yeah. That's yeah. their job. 
And so maybe let's all have a good time and try to be. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Do you catch yourself though? Do you so when when something goes wrong? What's your process? Now? Well, so in the old days, what I would do was like you know I would like if I, it was always about me blaming me, yes. but that There'd that would then be taken out on other people, right? Well, it would be okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't mean that in even like as in no, like I wouldn't blame anybody else. No, but, but I'd be a pain in the ass in that way that now everybody else is like you know. Yep. Yep. Day is yep. yeah a bit shitty because I'm shitty, you know whatever. Like, yep. but also that thing of, for me, of it, it comes back to the thing we were talking about earlier, which is what what's the best place for me to do this? Like, what's the best way for me to do this job? Yeah, the best way for me to do this job is like you it said about Shane Warne. If I'm happy, yeah, like there'll be mistakes. Yeah, things won't go right. Yeah, but my best way of dealing with those and making this like this is not me boasting, but I, I hopefully touch wood will not have a bad show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival yep. because my show is really good. And yep. if I go out there and I'm happy, yeah, I'm funny enough. Yes, with the show that I have yes. for any audience that comes in for us to have a good show. And you, you, whereas in the old days, sorry, the so point finished, I wanted to finish, finish on yep, that yep, was. Yep, yep. If something was a bit off, I'd get a bit shitty. Suddenly I'm not performing as well. Yep. Suddenly the show's not going as well. Yep. Suddenly like a night that – so a, a soft Wednesday will now be an 8 out of 10 for me in regard to where I feel that the show's at as yep. opposed to it might have been a 6 in the old days yep. because suddenly, you know, I'd be I'd be blaming the people who were there. Yep. Not the ones who didn't, you know. Do you You're mean? not like, smart enough to get this. You're right. Not, yeah, yeah. And yep. that, that's not the way that you should yep. be doing yep. it. So for – so for me, I was definitely like very like yeah, self-critical at the start because I didn't believe that I was meant to be there. Yeah, and so that's what it was. So do you it believe? Was ki- do you believe? Did you do you believe you're funny? Yeah, do, well, have you I mean, always believe you're funny. Well, I mean, I guess if I like wanted to pursue, pursue this career, yeah, I must have right. Yes. Yeah, that's inherent in the very thing that I pursued this for the last twenty years of my life. But do I like when when you ask me that question? My immediate response is to say no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, weird. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. No, I don't think it is. I I, I think that the understanding that you're closer to who you are than than be, being in denial of that. Right. I'm not saying you're not funny, and I'm not saying you are funny. But at least con- thinking about that, I think, is is not overthinking about it because I th- I think that. Because for me, it's the opposite. It, there's there's too much levels of insecurity, and it's like get over yourself, dickhead. Right. Get on with it. Yeah. Whereas some people, it's the opposite of that. Oh, how, how funny am I? Just right. watch. Yeah. Now, both probably are funny, but both are a little bit distorted yep. in their in their internal perspective of that, and that there lies the the levels of talk. Now you can get so caught up in this where you can get up on not you, but one can get on stage and go, you know what, I, I can do anything, and I'm right. funny. But you see those people, you go, you, yeah, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not, right. and then you can see the opposite of that. You see people, you go, fuck, you're good, yeah. Oh my god, you don't realise how good you are, yeah. But they still have to go through that. Yeah. Now you don't get to a point in the middle where you go, we got it all worked out. You're still on that band. <sighs> you still vary on that band. I mean, I think yeah. that's the most interesting thing, like about it, which is 
that, that idea that, oh my God, it's a constant process yes, of checking yeah. yourself and where you are and what you need. Like, because sometimes maybe you do need a bit more creative tension. Like, maybe if you're too happy, your work isn't going to the place where it should be going. Yep. Are you discussing the right things? Are you, you know, putting in enough hard work? Like, you can't just, like, you know, get out there and say, let's have fun and have yep. a good time. That's right. Yeah, you have to – it's a combination of both. And it, so thereby, there, there lies the – your process is probably – to, to, I'm trying to find differences between you and I. I probably looked at the – I look – it's a little bit irresponsible in that I don't trust myself enough because when I create ideas, I have a good ability to shoot them down. Mm-hmm. And we had a lunch one day to talk about – we had a breakfast, I think, one day to talk about that process. Uh, you're probably better at, at, at taking responsibility for that stuff. Well, I think, I think that yeah. comes back to the idea, though, of like – and it goes to the stand-up character thing again, yeah, right. which is stand-up it is like the best and worst thing about stand-up is that if, if I'm being myself – and people don't like it, they're not just saying they don't think I'm funny, they're also saying, I don't like you. Yeah. Like, because I'm being me, and they're saying, I don't like you. Whereas if it's a character, you can at least say, well, they didn't like the character. But it doesn't mean they hate Glenn Robbins, right? Well, I mean, sometimes it does, right? Yeah, sometimes, (laughs) like, don't get me wrong, sometimes you're swept up in the friendly fire. But, but, you know, they could, but they might like one character you do and not be fond of another, right? Whereas, like, with me, it's like, well, we don't like you. Yep. Like, you know, we don't like your stand-up, we don't like you. But it also means that you do, I guess, have that sort of thing of going, well, this is like, I'm, I have to take responsibility for this. Yep. And you were talking about in your stand-up about the fact that you still feel like that's the one area where... But, yes, yes. But being a character, that's going towards being, pretending to be someone else and being in that moment, whereas being a stand-up is like trying to, you know... Well, it's the ultimate... Get closer to your own truth. Yes, yeah, it's the ultimate vulnerability, really. We had a brief toilet break and started talking about philosophy... Yeah. Off the podcast, yes. which was because um, I, I think belief and philosophy and those sort of things are, are an interesting area I would like to explore. Though, do you have any like you know structure when it comes to belief in your life? Do you are you a person? And again, like you don't have to answer these things, but are you a person who believes in God or some sort of higher power or something? Help like that? me here. Agno- atheist, agnostic. Atheist believes that there is is no god. Yeah, that's 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 a zip zero zip, gone zero yeah. gone. Agnostic, agnostic is, is kind of in the middle of the of the of the uh, the. Agnostic is kind of like, look, I don't believe in God, but I'm not ruling anything out. Yeah, and then there's full blown, you know. Yeah, and there's like believers and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to set up camp on on any of those, but if I would probably have if if it was a caravan park. Hmm. And oh, let's there, imagine it is. It's that's, that's actually no, how three, I like no, to. There's yeah. three caravan parks, right? Yeah. There's there's the atheist caravan park, yep. and then there's the agnostic caravan park, and then there's there's the religious. Yep. There's the pearly gates. One with pearly gates and really good amenities, and and a guy that runs it is apparently fantastic. Fantastic. I, I would probably I'd probably go to the agnostic caravan yep. park uh, because I, I I look look my simple my simple philosophy is. Um, I'm, there's something else going on. I'm not sure what it is, and when I die, I'll find out. Now that's dismissive. I know. I don't know I'll, if that is dismissive. That seems like some sort of like feeling of because I've got to say that your your position on the world is the one that I I think I wish I had 
Like, I think I wish I was a person because I, I love the romance of belief and I love the romance of the idea that, yep. you know, we're here for a reason and I certainly imbue my life with meaning and I've been in love and I yep. have felt emotions that yep. make no sense and I've done things for people that aren't justified by logic and, you know, I've felt sexual urges and I've felt like, you know, at times, like, you know, things have happened in the universe that I can't explain that seem yep. like they're special. So, and I love the beauty and romance of all that i love myths and i love stories and i love the way that we communicate our knowledge but to be honest when i like think about it when i really think about it it's just a story i just i just feel like this is random so i like where like i like your area because i know that you know the whole you know anyone who tells you they know exactly what that life is about Mm. i know they're wrong yeah that's right they're the ones i know are wrong right because i think nobody really knows and we're all just having our best guess yeah and and whatever gives you peace in the, in the darker moment, in the middle of the night, you go, I look at people and I see them at a religious meeting and I see them singing with their hands in the air. There's a part of me goes, <laughs> as if, but a part of me goes, geez, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that. Right. I wouldn't mind a little bit of that feeling. And and so I, it's not like I go, well, I, therefore, or maybe I should lean more that way and I, maybe I'll get a bit of it. My, 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 there's j- my f- feelings just come from purely that. I, I, and I, I and, not that the universe is all knowing, but you know, I kind of, you know, not that someone's watching over me, but I just think there's more to it than right. this. I just, that's all I think. And how interested are you in exploring that idea? Do, well, do you I like? I don't. No. Because 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 it, it's not a big deal to you. No, no. I'm, so then, how do you find meaning in your life? I, well, it's interesting because I'm I'm linked up to a thing called um, Glimpse of the Day, and every day they send you uh, a message and. And most of it is about death. Uh-huh. Now, and, and <laughs> so, so far it sounds very depressing. Well, and I and I go and I'm I'm reading it. I'm taking it on board, and I'm going. You know, think about your death. Accept your death. Accept that this this is a limited time, and you will be gone before you know it. But it doesn't make me feel anymore in the moment. I go, oh yeah, okay. Now I should be more in the moment. Now I should accept it. Now I should feel really. Yeah. But I don't. It just goes blonk, yeah. clunk. And I, I'm sure there are people, I dare say, uh, towards the Buddhist end of the caravan park um, that that do have not contentment but have just a level of re- result. What's the word? word, word? They're just in a good place with that. And right. I wish Acceptance, I was. Acceptance, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I just wish I was, and I'm right. not. I'm there's a there's a simplistic analysis of it, but not a not a. I'm not at ease yet. Right. I hope. I mean, I'm in my fifties now, and I, you know, and I sort of think, Glenn, you probably should have it worked out by now. So if you got it worked out, you're going to talk to Will Anderson. I hope you've got some interesting things to say. If you've got some things that are going to, going to make him sit up and and maybe look at himself, and maybe he'll go away going, oh, that was great, Glenn. You know what? I learned something today. No, no, you're just going. You're just re- retelling all the same. So look, I don't. I don't. Um, you're just doing all the same stuff. I don't have um, that's beyond just, that. That's just Glenn giving us the internal monologue to prove all the points he made for the first hour and a half. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and, and to not take it too seriously. Cause, but it, okay, but what about the balance of your life? This is what I'm interested in. More, we've talked a lot about work, but where does work even fit into how you define yourself like in your life? Because that's interesting to me as well. Like is it a major part of how you that's, define yourself? Yes, it, it is, yeah. It's a, it's a huge part of me. And, that, and I, it's not that I, de- I need to derive the satisfaction of an audience, but I know that 
there's a there's a part of me, there's an engine up there that needs to be working because if it doesn't work and achieve uh, some level of creativity, the guns then turn, that engine then turns on me. Oh, interesting. And, and, it, and Well, it's the demons. Yeah. So, so if, if I can't create some interesting characters, why don't I just create some weird shit about you? Right. Meaning me. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, so there's the, right. the, and that is absolutely, I will bend over and you can kick me up the arse now, indulgent. and But still... I'm still a victim of that right. from time to time. Now, what is that? That is absolutely, in big bright lights, opportunity. It's opportunity because in that, in that door that you can go through, intriguing stuff will, will, whether it be an observation on the world or on yourself, but that's where the good stuff lives. And if you see it as the dark stuff, it can remain dark. If you can see it as opportunity, maybe you'll get something artistic and beneficial for other people, even if it's just... Saying that, right? But 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 yeah. So now, I'm not... so it is a big part of you. Like I mean, it's a big part of who you are. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. I think I mean in in career advice, advice, finding your calling, finding what what you know. You know, I think I was not sent here, but that is my calling. Is, yep. is to do. And there are things. I mean, by I, the way, yeah. the, I find this always very like interesting when I talk about like the idea of religion because I understand the way that I talk about um, comedy uses many of the yeah, same parallels. Yeah. Parallels, yeah, like yeah, you know, yeah, you talk yeah, about yeah. Uh, we were talking. I'm talking about sitting in that room with Billy Connolly and just sitting there and knowing what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, yeah, yeah. even though I didn't really know what that was. That's what people describe yeah. as, you know, yeah. when they got their calling or when yeah. they found their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then you imbue your life with that meaning and yeah. you create stories around yeah. it. And, yeah. But it is interesting. Do you ever reflect on the fact that you are lucky? Because I think that it, it is lucky that you have found something that is your calling. Do you see that as a positive, that you found something that is your calling? Because sometimes I think it can be too... Ed. Like Mostly it's like, great, because it's not work if you love it right but the other side is there are some jobs where you can just you know switch off at the end of the day and go home and not take it with you yeah but do they re- does that really happen does it really happen i don't really know i've never had one of those I don't know, jobs. I don't, I, yeah i don't i don't i don't think it does. <laughs> what was it like in the insurance game well they they seem pretty happy to me so yeah. so i'm um, you know, I, I don't have a simple answer. When you were saying that then, um, is it really my calling and really is it a, a, you know, a burden? I'm thinking, please not less. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this because I might, <laughs> I might go, oh, my God, I shouldn't be doing this. And therefore, oh, God. Right, yeah, let's so, not, not open that box. <laughs> yeah, just move not, on. Let's, yeah. not, let's not dissect the frog. We can't put it back oh together. How was it, it, Will? Yeah, yeah, it was good. And then, and then it made me think something and I yeah. didn't want to think. There's this oh, hang on. There's the, that's the door. They've come to – hang on. Look, I'm, I'll just, Can you keep the noise down a bit? That's all right. No, oh, this, this the, win- is, uh, the window cleaners have come in. Yeah, there was a notice in the um, uh, in the lift. There was like a little A4, you know, piece of paper that said that the window cleaners are going to come. So uh, now, now we've got an audience. So now you better be funny. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, now we can use that. So, as a- are they happy with their lot? Well, it's okay, but that's an interesting question, right? Like, is it like? I mean, they seem both pretty happy. Yeah, they seem happy, and I dare say they're doing something. They're taking something that is 
uh, dirty and making it clean. There has I know I have a window cleaner come to my house and he makes them so clean. I go, you've got to walk away from that house going, job well done there. Right. And so that's interesting. That is really interesting to me without this being a horribly patronising conversation is like – I don't know if it's something you know unique about window cleaners, but I had a window cleaner come to my house recently, and the windows in my house had not been cleaned properly for like two years. Yeah. And this guy did such a meticulous, great job, and took such pride in his work yeah. that I was afterwards was like, "There's a guy who just goes to work every day and he cleans people's windows, mm. and he just does a great job at it." Yeah, and he's. He's in his own special way. He's making people happy. If you have a job where you can make someone happy, that's why I don't understand professional gamblers. I don't right. understand people who work on the stock market. Uh-huh. What are you doing for people beyond you? Right, and it's and it's yeah. and also it's just money. Yeah, it's just fiction. Yeah, and it's it, imaginary stuff that we we in the first place we all just said like the, these pieces of paper are worth something. Yeah, like it, they're not actually worth anything. We've just agreed as a society that this is how we're going to operate. That these pieces of paper or these numbers mean something, but they don't actually mean anything. A little a little mini scoreboard. Right. Yeah. The, the great yeah. thing about our job, well, the one thing that I've very much enjoyed about our job, and I was explaining this to someone on a business podcast of all things the other day, was yeah. I said, you know what, you can. Say what you want about stand-up comedians, but or you know people who work in that sort of industry. But I have created jobs out of my head, yes, like out of my imagination. Yeah. Like I come up with something in my head, and I put on a show, and like ushers get employed, and lighting people get employed, and tour managers get employed, and blah. It, you're not digging something out of the ground. You're not taking something that belonged to a lot of other people and already there and using it for your profit. Mm. You're creating something and like putting it out into the world. But, but can't, that, can't that philosophy be true? Of everyone, and that they, if they, if they are show a level of creativity within whatever they do, that they will create something for other people in that. And right. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, and I yeah. guess that's what my the broader point I'm talking about is we should talk more about people who are like giving to society. Yes. Like you know, people who are creating things that are positive for the world, and like because I've got nothing against people making a good living and making money and stuff yeah. like that. Like sometimes when I talk about these topics, people think that you you know want to go back to communism or like something like that. Mm. I don't. No. I just think that we should honour the people who are creating and making positive things for yes. the world yeah. a little bit more than we honour the people who are making their fortune by taking or yes. you know m- m- messing around with other people's lives and yeah. money and stuff. Just to- so when those people. People who are taking risks take risks and stumble. Mm. As I said before, I like to think that the the, the, the community, the audience, w- will support those people in their risk taking. Yeah, and and uh, and the reverse, people who are exploiting the community, that they are questioned and they are not attacked but held to respons- be responsible. So there's there's the two ends of it. So when people, and that's something that I'm not very good at. I think you're quite good at. Um, is, is seeing through it and being able to shoot holes in things appropriately. And I know that we talked earlier about the fisticuffs of, of doing that with certain people. Artistically, artistic endeavours are the other end of that. And that too often we're, there are so many people ready to... Someone's taking a risk and they feel... And you see it being beaten in the press and online and you go, this is just this is so wrong... To do that. And so this yeah. is a new culture, though. Like, and you talked about the idea that you. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to launch the comedy company in the age of Twitter? Yes, it would. Like, have been I mean, awesome. you know, doing a seven thirty at night, mm. like you know, family friendly. Yeah. But you know, mm. I mean, 
it's still beloved and still like a lot of those sketches. The one thing about them, like not pushing the edge too much, like yes. you know, just being inherently funny, is yeah. I think they stand up yep. a lot better yep. than yep. some things where you're trying to be of the time or yep. like if you're trying to be edgy and then ten years later that yep. just stuff seems really yep. lame. That's Whereas if true. you've kind of just gone, no, this is funny because yep. this is a funny character and yep. it's a funny story and a, yep. that sort of stuff, I think actually ages a lot better yeah, than yeah, the, the, the shelf life is right. a lot stronger. Yeah, I, but I, I but in this day and age of Twitter, do you think it would have survived? Do you think it would have? Like, you know, had the well, opportunity like to... to yeah, I like to think that, okay, there may have been any issues on Twitter. I'd like to think that if the heart and soul of a program is coming from the right place, that it could survive. Yeah. And I actually did believe that it, it can because I believe that the groundswell beyond... That, 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 that Twitter, yes, it is a voice and it does have a level of power. I, I if I was brave, and when I am brave, I think that I equate it to um, making a dog bark. And when you walk past a fence and the dog starts barking at you. I like to actually kick the fence a bit harder to make the dog bark more. So in other words, if someone yeah. doesn't like what I'm uh-huh. doing and there's a, a thing like a Twitter, if I'm brave, I'll kick it. I'll, kick, yeah. I'll keep on kicking it Yeah, because I want and I believe in what I'm doing. Now, where does that come from? Because I think a lot of comedians have a, a touch of that about them. Yeah, and that, but like I think part of going into comedy is like, yeah, like that idea of like, are you're kicking, no, I'll kick. Yeah, yeah. you know, like. So, but that's our job, isn't it? Right. Our job is not to, is to keep on the straight and narrow. Is to test ourselves and test the audience and test our boundaries. But there's got to be something within you. That's got to be. Has that been with you from since when you were a kid? Were you always a kid who liked to, you know, were you a smart ass in class? Did you were you distrustful of authority, or is that something that became because you were a teacher as well? Yeah, so yeah. there's a. I think there. I, I, unconsciously, I think there was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think. I, I think. I think there was. I. I. But. But as you know me, I'm not one to. To go out of my way to be too opinionated i do i no. do take a safer, a safer line there yeah. but i do take a risk i do take risk in the playful mischief sense yeah so i i don't back my judgment on on being too opinionated but I, how'd you go yeah, good, thank you. was it all right yes. good you only do the outside you don't do the inside no just the outside yeah and you just go into every apartment and and uh oh. and is it fun is it all right Got to feel good when you're finished and go that because I did my windows at home. I, get, I I had one window like that. I reckon I did it six times, six. and I still was. And I would go sit back down and go, "How do you get it perfectly not streaky? How do you? Was there a, is there a, like a, a secret to it? There's no secret. It's a technique. Is there is there something in the chemicals? Because I was using Windex and cleaning. So no hard. chemicals. Water and detergent. Water and detergent. There you so go. So what's Windex got in it? Is that is that it's alcohol? Is it? Yeah. Oh man, you guys! I love what you do. I love what you do. Yeah. Anyway, there I've said it. Look, thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much, guys. Have Look a nice day. Windows. Look at that. Great job. Yeah, I can definitely. I can see okay. all the Melbourne out of that now. He's gonna go. Okay. Just met Uncle Arthur, and he's a serious fucking weirdo. It was a bit intense on the fucking windows, wasn't he? That's what he's gonna be saying about me right now. Do you do that? Is that what goes on in your head now? Yeah, yes. That's that's the Glenn Robbins internal monologue <laughs> that some guy you were really polite to now is going down the stairs hating Uncle Arthur. <laughs> I just, you know, I just, you know, they seemed happy. Yeah, no, they were happy. They, they were happy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, all right. So um, uh, I want to ask about the the role of um, like family and friends and lifestyle in your life. Like, do you? take time to are you a person who wants to go and do things like you know you said you play golf is there other things that you like to 
do how important are like family friends like that part of your life where it mixes in with you know the, the professional part of well, your yeah, life as much as anyone it's, it, it's just oh, yeah but i don't yeah, know yeah. i know that you say as much as anyone but i think it's interesting to hear from different people like you know and i don't think there's any right or wrong answer yeah, yeah, i just yeah. like to know like yeah if- I, I i i would say we are not a close family we're a very respectful family mm-hmm. we know that we're there for each other I have two brothers two older brothers and my father has passed away but my and my mother mother is still alive so th- there's there's an, a knowing without without going on about it mm-hmm. uh, we don't um, we spend as much time as we can together but 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 not a lot yep um, and then I have a few close friends that I as you said play golf with and there's there's uh, uh, I spend a lot of time with Con the Fruiter and Mark Mitchell. I, I go to his house. I know his kids very well. His ki- all his kids are in their twenties now, and uh, I, I we have a very good relationship because we both they teach me, and and I like to think that I I teach them. Not that it's all about teaching, but but we we talk, we eat, we play cards, we we laugh a lot, and I always go back out of their house feeling better than when I came in they, they just take me to a place they take me to a place but we just we do good we we I can say anything I want and I can feel safe about it I would and, suggest and, that like I know that you said it's not all about teaching and I, it's not all about teaching but I would suggest that it's that almost everything's either about teaching or learning yeah well like you know most things yeah, like yeah. you know if you're really engaged in the world that most things are about either you're teaching someone something or yeah. you should be learning something from yeah. someone else yeah. Yeah. in or pretty be, much any directly or indirectly whether it's right. reading a story or reading a book non fiction non fiction you are you are you are learning and it's right. I, I guess it's not like it's for me it's not consciously talking right. to yeah. me you know because sure. they ask me questions about yeah. things and I I don't always know the answer and I ask them questions about things they don't always know the answer but in that in that journey. I think in in politics they call it triangulation. Uh, you come to a, a, a often a, a middle ground that is um, intriguing for both of you because you both you both learn from your, your your perspective. So, and that's why doing something like this is interesting because you because as much as I don't like doing interviews, yep. the 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 one up, upside for me is it, it will make me ask some questions that I wouldn't normally ask of myself, and it will. And sometimes I don't know the answer. Like today, I I it's been good. I, um, but I've also I certainly haven't prepared for it. But I've, it's taking me into places in my head that I didn't hadn't really thought about. Is there sometime. something? This might be a hard question to answer off the top of your head, but I'd be interested if you know, instinctively have an answer to it. Is there something that you've changed your mind on in your life, like something that was kind of like a a big issue or a major issue or something that you believed in or thought was, you know, true that you, like, you know, you got older and you were like, oh, I was completely wrong about that? I'm not not sure whether this is the, I'm not sure about this. The the only, I think, uh, and this is not a mistake, but something that I've learned which is the, uh, the the thing that I did early on was trying to be everything to everyone. Oh, interesting. And learning that no is not a negative word. No is a quite an, well. It certainly is empowering f- for me as far as my own peace of mind. But also too, it's a realization that you can't bring the passion that they necessarily want on on a certain project or a certain situation. So I, you know, I tried too hard sometimes mm-hmm. to be 
to be all the things that people wanted to be. And then I was the I was the at, at the big big expense for me was me. Mm-hmm. And I had probably in some ways gone too far the other way. So I people get frustrated with me. Oh, you're very considered. You don't do that much. And I go well. I'm doing what I'm passionate about. I'm doing what I care about with the people that I want to do it with. So therefore, isn't that the right thing to do? Sometimes I feel a little defensive when people – because people get shitty with me when I don't necessarily want to do a project. And I think, well, if I do your project, surely I'm being irresponsible if I'm not passionate about it. Don't you understand that? So I think the, the in, a short answer is the, the, um, the learning to say no has yep. been – profound not no but learning to understand that within myself and right and and yeah and but also learning that to say no to the you know the right things when it's not right for yeah, you and i don't know that it's is necessarily the right thing right. to say no but i it comes back to our original point which is 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 the trusting of the gut and trusting of the instinct i know that if i'm offered something it usually comes to me as i get up for a piss in the middle of the night and i just the answer gently presents itself <laughs> With my penis in my hand, massive penis in my hand, uh, it just presents itself. Now that's not profound, but I think we all do that. But 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 there's no doubt that, that fame and money and ego is very alluring and very you know. But the but the but the understanding of the of of, of saying no is is just as empowering. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I don't beat yourself up. I thought this was awesome. Yeah, I don't well, want you going down yeah, in the lift yeah, I will. and oh, being like, oh, not only that guy with yeah. the windows hate me, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah. It was I, great. I it was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, look, you know, I just, I just hope that there's something that, I don't know. I, I just, I hope it's not bad. I hope people don't go, fucking get your cock out. Fucking have a good old wank on the road because I. Okay, hang on. Yeah. So, uh, what is your fear? No, literally. I, now, I, actually, I want to know what that it is. Masturbatory. That it, that it's like as if we would care. What is if? Surely they can turn it off. Yeah, yeah, mate. The whole yeah, concept, yeah. like literally, if you've come through the door to a podcast where I talk to people about their philosophies, yeah, your surely, name's on yeah. it, mate. You surely you have to then go. To no one stumbled on here. It's fine. No, I feel okay about it. I feel it's yeah. been good, and I feel as though. Um, that uh, you, you you put me in a in a secure place, and by saying quite simply, this I find interesting. I guess it feels to my ego, but it also it makes me feel good. So I go, oh, oh. So the, 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 so then I take more risks then, and rather than just going to the next question, because uh-huh. you had ten, because you haven't got a bit of paper in front of you, no. it's gone off your gut. Yeah. So I th- I find that you know because normally with an interview you you just go through the list and you know and. It's one of the things that I didn't want to do on this. Like, I mean, I'm happy to duck in and out of people's careers and like talk yeah. about things, yeah. but I don't want, like, I want to know it, because, and, and this is what I was saying to you. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some people who listen to this podcast who are like, you know, who would prefer if it was just an interview or prefer if it was like a traditional or, structure thing yeah, or trying like to be a, funny, trying to be right. Yeah, yeah. But my kind of, that's not the point of this one. No, yeah. Like it's having a conversation yeah. and I'm going to, the reason I say it's funny, funny that you bring up it, it, that's interesting or me saying interesting because yeah, the, 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 the feedback I get from people is you say that's interesting a lot, that, but the reason it is genuine, isn't but it? the reason is because I'm interested. Yeah. And that, the, re, the yeah. way that I yeah. try to do this conversation is, to be interested in what you're saying and then ask you questions that I'm interested in off what you've just yeah, said. Yeah, because that's... And that's how yeah, I do it. I don't yeah, worry about like, yeah. well, I just go, good. let's go where it goes and we'll yeah, talk about this yeah. and... Because the opposite of that is waiting for me to finish and then having an opportunity for you, for you to say something else that makes you feel... But also the thing is, Glenn, that I think you'll find, like, I mean, I'm not sure if you're a person who will ever listen back to this, but if you do, I think you'll find that 
there were constant themes through everything we spoke about that came back to the thing we were talking about at the start. Yes, that's right. You know, there was a couple of things we talked about there about the balance of the ego Mm -hmm. and getting out of your own way and being able to trust yourself that were pretty much consistent in every thing we talked about. Yes. And that's what I I enjoy most about these things. I've found with each person I've talked to that by the end of it, you feel like, Oh, no, not, not only did you say this thing, but here are a bunch of conversations where you've given me practical examples or yeah. more broad conversations or pulled yeah. apart the rights and wrongs of that thing, I believe. Yeah. I didn't feel judged. I, I, that, oh, uh, no, you yeah. will afterwards when it goes up <laughs> online. Then you'll feel judged. No, you'll do a voiceover. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, here it comes. Listen to this bit. There we go. Listen to what happens when I ask him this. Oh, my God. Strap yourself in. Can you imagine if that's how I released it? If I just cut it up with commentary in between, that would be terrible. Uh, Glenn Robbins, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thanks, Without you